Welcome everybody to Ace Field Retro. We're here following an explosive dynamite here on Wednesday on TBS, the second of the TBS era. I have a special guest joining me today. It's going to be Jimmy the Prince of the Wrestling Couch and Nick the Comic Nerd. We're going to be talking all things dynamite. And this show was a mixed bag. Let's be honest. I mean, it's some just been texting with some of my friends and other people in the wrestling community. People are a little bit um, mixed on this event. They went in strong, feeling like it was going to be a strong card. And some feel it hasn't delivered. I'm curious where uh, Jimmy and both Nick feel about uh, the ending, I guess, specifically with the Warlow and CM Punk match, uh, possibly the Eddie Kingston and the Jericho segment that people feel a little bit uh, a little bit miffed about what they're doing with Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston. Uh, but a lot has gone on. And I guess on top of it all, the crowd in North Carolina was a little bit dead. So we had a, an explosive debut that was almost spoiled by Tony Khan on Instagram and on Twitter prior to the show starting. And he always sort, sort of broadcasts the, uh, these debuts, he he can't help himself. He has to say, uh, we have a surprise, in, in fact, and we're you know we're going to debut maybe someone on the show. And he definitely delivered, and we will get to that as soon as we get to that segment. Uh, so I'm going to bring in Jimmy, the Prince of the Wrestling Couch, and he is gracious enough to join us here live on Wednesday. What's going on, man? Happy to see you again. Yes, yes. I'm back, back from the dead, uh, seemingly. <laughs> Had uh, had a bit of an issue there, but no, we're we're good to go, man. I enjoyed uh, AEW Dynamite, and thank you for uh, for having me on. Of course, man. Happy 2022. Last we saw each other, we were chatting about the best of 2021, and That's we are right. now about three weeks into 2022, and there's been some good wrestling, uh, mostly on AEW side. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a good year so far. I mean. Uh, Brian Danielson, Adam Page, obviously that was great. Uh, Brock Lesnar making waves, lots of lots of cool stuff going on, right? Yeah, and I agree. I mean, the Brock Lesnar stuff, we want to, we don't want to discount that. I know you and I lean heavily towards the AEW side of things, but we have to mention when WWE does something well, and as rare as it might be, I think we have to give them credit where credit is due. Uh, so I introduced the show as AEW Dynamite Live from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, my reaction was mixed. I was texting with some people that were friends. Uh, we went in hot on the show. We felt like it was a strong card. Uh, just your initial reaction, Jimmy, before we go segment by segment. Were you pleased with the whole show or were there things you didn't like? Yeah, overall, I thought it was a pretty solid show, especially considering I wasn't very excited going into this one. Um, it was just kind of one of those things. And then as it was progressing, I was like, no, this is this is really great. Uh, the first hour in particular, I thought was really strong. Lost a little bit of steam in the in the second hour. But uh, but yeah, overall, I thought it was a, a pretty solid show. Yeah, what I liked about the show, similar to the show last week, was they're fitting a lot into the show and getting a lot of faces, not faces and faces and heels, but a, a lot of different personalities on the show where a lot of times they would just ignore having like a guy like Andrade or Malachi Black. They would say, it's just not happening this week. But even if there's a guy not wrestling or cutting a promo per se, they find a way to fit them into the show, even pack with the video package, which we'll talk about uh, when we get to it. But they did a really good job of fitting different guys into the show. And that was something I wanted them to work on in 2022 is getting all those guys. It's a stack roster. We have to find a way to get everybody involved 
and it seems like they're doing a better job of it thus far. Yeah, even if it's just, uh, you know, a one-minute vignette or, uh, you know, a little backstage segment, I agree. It seems like sometimes it's almost like funny because you're like, wow, they they really <laughs> tried to get everybody in this show. But you'd rather that than, uh, than the contrary, like you were saying, where you're going, oh, where's that guy? I haven't seen him for a few weeks. I, I was just complaining about not seeing Jay Lethal for a while, and we got a Jay right. Lethal appearance, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I have a funny Jay Lethal story when we get to the end of that match that I was mentioning to uh, – my girlfriend about so I want, I'll mention it when we get there just remind me so we have the opening segment man so it featured the Young Bucks Kyle O'Reilly um, Bobby Fish Adam Cole and eventually Britt Baker there was a lot going on here uh, are they called the Paragon yet were you absolutely correct in that or is that still sort of rumor and innuendo still still up in the air I feel I feel strongly that that's at least where they were going to go just the way that Kyle O'Reilly in that first interaction was like we're like the paragon of it. They kept forcing felt, it. You were on. You were on it from the beginning. I felt like they were maybe trying it out a little bit, um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think they've they've committed to a name yet, though. He did say this is a new era um, yeah. in AEW tonight, so maybe they just go with like the new era and like maybe almost do like an NWO, like New yeah. World. New. Maybe they can do some kind of play on on that, but. Uh, no, I, I still feel like Par Paragon is where they want to go, but I, I don't like it personally. It doesn't roll off the tongue, but I guess everything you can get used to. Uh, so sure. we had Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish came out to start the show. Adam Cole, great. I mean, he has two moments where the crowds are super involved. Every time I see him, I think about how did WWE miss the boat on this guy? Trained by Shawn Michaels. All he's missing in, in their eyes is just the height. And that's a shame, man, because like a guy like Shawn Michaels wasn't the tallest guy. Uh, he's in the ring. He's he's charismatic. He's great on the mic. The fans love him. He is going to be superstar going forward. And I think eventually we will see him as AEW world champion. I just, you just feel it. Yeah. And I, um, tonight I feel like was a bit of a almost like a comeback or a bit of a renaissance for him because I feel like he's been getting a little bit stale and they almost like hide him on Rampage, like some of his better matches. Um, if you don't watch Rampage, you might have missed them. Right. And I felt, I felt like he lost a little bit of steam, just personally, not not mm -hmm. in storyline, because everything with uh, the Undisputed Era and the Young Bucks, I've really enjoyed. But yeah, personally, I felt like he lost a little bit of steam from when he came in. And then tonight's promo, I thought, really kind of put him back there, where he just kind of reminded us, by the way, I'm undefeated, right? And and uh, you know, I'm I'm still a big deal, and. Uh, yeah, and now I got my boys with me, so let's go, right? And I love the way they do their entrance. The three of them together, they're just, I don't know, they look like they're uh, they are happy to be back together. And a lot more in sync this week than they were a couple weeks ago. Right. I need Kyle O'Reilly to have a title belt so he can play air guitar again. Uh, yeah. That's like my favorite part of their entrance. And you have to think that Red Dragon eventually will be AEW uh, tag team champions. I mean, not going to rush things, but that has to be in their future. So as you mentioned, we got the boys back together. The Young Bucks interrupted. Uh, they look great, by the way. I love the heel look, and they—I miss them personally. They've been off TV due to COVID, so you definitely felt uh, the absence of their presence. Uh, O'Reilly wasn't having it, uh, saying he didn't need their help or interference. Matt said, "This is our company, and that they're the longest-reigning tag champions in AEW history, and they want their belts back." The tension building between Red Dragon and the Young Bucks is palpable, and you could tell Adam Cole is trying to keep the peace, but there's something brewing underneath. And the long-term storytelling—I want to talk about that. The quote. Hashtag long-term storytelling. They're planting the seeds for something much bigger. And 
you know, it's up for us to figure it out and read the tea leaves, but we know they have big plans for these six guys. Uh, O'Reilly and Fish said they want the titles too, and no team will stand between them and those titles, including the Bucks. Cole tried to calm everybody down, uh, comparing the accolades to the best friends. And it's funny, they didn't even wait two seconds for the best friends music to hit. And they were out immediately. They come out. I love their shirt, by the way. It was a nice new piece of merch. I'm not sure if it was new, but the front and back was a nice little gimmick they had going on. Uh, so for sure, they came out, wasted no time for the queue. Cole got an orange face who I felt had, you sp- spoke about Adam Cole losing a step. I feel like orange has lost a huge step since uh, maybe his feud even last summer with uh, Chris Jericho. I feel like he's just sort of lost in the shuffle with the emergence of these new faces in AEW. Uh, Orange attacked and everyone brawled. Orange got the upper hand and Cole low blowed him. And then the best moment of the whole segment, Britt Baker comes running out. And it felt like they were lifting the curtain a little, a curtain a little bit where they were breaking kayfabe or whatever. It felt like a big moment where you had Britt Baker and Adam Cole finally reuniting in an AEW ring. What were your thoughts on that? I uh, it made it makes sense. I thought it was a matter of time. Uh, they hinted at it. I mean, even her, you know. Rock. I mean, I know they've kind of ruined the the Jordans thing in the last uh, few weeks because Jericho and everybody's wearing them now. But for a while, that was kind of like a wink, wink, uh, kind of like a heel thing, a young bucks, a bullet club kind of thing. So, right. Um, so yeah. So she she often wears those those same shoes, and obviously we know that they're together. And obviously she's a heel, and I think this is just kind of that next step in her progression to really try and solidify her as a heel, but um i think she'll always be similar to adam cole and this segment was a prime example where they come out you get excited to see them because they're great at what they do but then by the end of the segment you're like oh they're they're despicable (laughs) oh how could they do that (laughs) and what adds the cherry on top of that is tony shivani on on commentary where he loves brit but his hatred for adam cole just shines on through and I love that, you know, little things like that go a really long way and compare that. And I don't want to do this all night and carry it with WWE. The, the announcing really helps tell the story and helps add a little bit of zest to what's been going on in the ring. And Shivani's so good about peppering it. I mean, the guy's, you know, a legend, been doing it since the 80s. So he knows how to make a story feel a little bit more important than it does. So, yeah, both both him and JR, those are definitely their uh, their strengths that just kind of setting the scene and just kind of making something feel important even even when maybe it, it, it wouldn't have otherwise right. yeah by the way i've noticed you're wearing purple i have the purple in the background it's like you and i are in sync right now so i appreciate Always. the love Always. all right so this was the story of the whole night we had cm punk defeating wardlow with mjf and this was more of an extended angle than a match in itself uh personally i'll give my opinion on it first we saw wardlow flatten punk with I think it was eight power bombs, uh, including I the one outside. It. Yes, that's it, eight. I I loved how they presented Wardlow here, and I was saying last week that it was a tricky position to put yourself in because you have the undefeated Punk who you have to keep strong. You have Wardlow who you're building towards something bigger. You're booking yourself in a corner, and a lot of times the easy way out would to be a would be to do a DQ finish or to yep. have MJF you know go to hit punk and hit Wardlow. that seemed like it would be the easy way out but they yep. went in a more creative direction yep. and i have to applaud them because it was really good storytelling and it made Wardlow look like a million bucks while keeping punk's undefeated record and bravo to them i think that they did everything perfect in this angle in my opinion yeah it was really really cool i was a little nervous 
when Punk got back to the ring. Um, just because I was like, ah, are they are they gonna ruin it? But no, I thought it was fair. Like he st- and he still sold a lot after the match. Like he was really devastated by it. But um, yeah, they literally had me thinking at one point that Wardlow was just gonna right. hit him like stop like by stepping on him like just no effort whatsoever and no they they did a good job of kind of twisting and turning and uh you know just when you thought they were kind of doing something they did something a little different and i thought yeah i thought it went really really well um i i would have even been okay with the way they did it i would have been okay with wardlow pinning like i was like wow like and and i wouldn't have thought that i would have felt that way but they did such a good job and Wardlow is so convincing at this point. And uh, yeah, that was just like you said, it was more of like an, an angle in a match. And it was like, yeah, that was such a, a cool story that they told. And uh, yeah, ultimately, Wardlow actually losing. Because I was like, well, why did he have to lose? But it gives him a reason to be upset with MJF to further that. And it's it's really getting to its boiling point. So I, I thought that they might have went with Wardlow sort of gets mad like he's been getting mad week to week where sean spears will try to hit someone with a chair mjf would try to cost punk the match and wardlow would say i'm not taking the win this way he would turn around and get you know the gts and then the match would be over uh but again they went in a more creative direction and i have to just say you were right on wardlow from the beginning i you know listening to your early podcast saying he has a goldberg feel to him like he feels like something special and it took me a little bit to get to where you're at but I'm definitely there at this point. I feel like they've done a really good job of making him feel important. He doesn't feel like he's just one of those big guys, like a, like a Haas going in and just squashing guys, even though that's what he's doing. He feels more dynamic as a character. And for whatever reason, I'm invested in what they're doing with him because it just, it doesn't seem predictable. Like you think week to week, it's going to be MJF getting power bombed and that's, that'd be the end of it. But he has a little bit of the torn feelings. Like he has an allegiance to the pinnacle. He owes MJF a little bit of his career and you can see he's torn. Like he wants, he wants to go off on his own, but he also knows that MJF got him where he is and having MJF in his corner sort of cements his place in the main event. And I think that's the story they're telling. And it should be very interesting when they pull the trigger because it's going to happen. It's a matter of when, and I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. I know it seems like it's going to happen this week or next week or the week after. I think they're going to wait to the summer. I think they want to wait until MJF has the title. And I think, and I've said it before, I think he's going to be the one to take it off hangman. And I think that first feud with, with MJF, or maybe they wait until months and months into the of MJF being champion. I think Wardlow will be a guy that is going to be going for the world title. And that's the only way to do it. Yeah. It's the anticipation is killing me, but but each week they find a way to extend the story and make it more interesting and build up more tension. And to me, it's, excuse me, very much alike, uh, very, very similar to the Batista Triple H storyline, which was one of the few good parts of the uh, Reign of Terror. And they did a really, really good job of that kind of slow burn to the point where by the time Batista finally put his hands on him, it was like, it's like when right. in, a, in, a, in an Avengers movie, when like somebody comes out of nowhere and you're like, yeah, Thor is here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, same, yep. that same kind of idea. Like, yeah, he's one, he's our hero. And we kind of want that for, for Wardlow. And uh, I appreciate you, you saying I was early on, 
on that. But I, I will also admit that I said that that was going to blow up in the next two or three weeks. And, and that's been that's two weeks overdue now. And like you said, that might go until the summer. Like they're really good at stretching things out. And I mean, even CM Punk and and uh, and MJF, right? Like they still haven't even had a match. And that that feels like it's been going on for months. And I still want to see more of it. So um yeah, I, I love everything. Everything going on there is great. Yeah, comparing it to the Batista angle with Triple H is right on point. That angle to WrestleMania 21 had no right being as good as it is. As green as Batista was in 2005, people were so behind him and they created a superstar. I mean, look at where Dave Batista is now, what became of him all throughout his wrestling career. And a late starter, mind you. He was, I think, 43 when he won the world title at WrestleMania 21. So the fact that that happened so late in his career, you have to think Wardlow has, you know, the same amount of talent, if not more, and he's a young guy and a good looking guy at that. I, you know, no shame in saying that he could be an absolute superstar and there's no, you know, I feel like WWE, like the, I don't know if you saw those rumors that they're seriously in, uh, interested in signing him once his contract yes. is up. And I yes. believe his contract is up in like a year and a half or two years. He certainly is cookie like a cookie cutter guy the WWE be like plug and play put him in the main event and he's our next he's our next guy to challenge uh roman reigns or whatever uh but i would love him to see i would love to see him stay in AEW, but i wouldn't blame WWE for throwing a truckload of money and backing it up in his driveway to get him to come because i feel like he's going to be a huge star yeah and that's and he's a guy that uh i'll admit at first look you're like okay he's a big muscle head like you know, who knows if he actually will have the ability. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I just mean like guys that have that look where it's like, they're right. just so he's a, he's a WCW power plant type of guy. And I had said that in my early podcast that, and I meant that meant that in, I guess in a derogatory way that I just felt like he was a creative creator wrestler and like WCW mayhem. I just felt he was wearing a single. He was this big jacked up guy did a power bomb. So what, but he's so much more dynamic than that. Yeah, he uh, he he really impressed me because I thought he could just. I'm like, okay, he's the bodyguard type, but maybe he can only just be a mean bodyguard type, and he can't evolve past that. At first glance, first impression, because how many guys have we been disappointed by, right? For every for every Diesel or uh, or Batista, right? Like that similar kind of storyline. There's a Nathan Jones yeah. or a uh, or like a Matt Morgan who, while talented, never really put it all together and became. Uh, a great superstar right but with Wardlow I don't know it to me it was almost overnight or o over just a couple of months where he really just kind of put it all together and like he he shows such a, a wider range and like you said like a, emotionally like he's torn and I don't know I never even pictured him as a baby face ever and like now yeah. it's like undeniable this guy's going to be a huge baby face and maybe baby face world champion yeah and that's saying a lot about AEW where they have this roster stacked with guys from outside of the company, not homegrown guys. And you have Hangman Page, who is not really a homegrown guy. He's from Ring of Honor and New Japan and whatever, but he is their guy sort of on national on the national landscape. I, I Wardlow feel like could be their guy. Elevated, they elevated him to that level, like where other companies didn't put him in that position that they have. So they definitely have, have taken Adam Page to another level, to your credit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think like a Danielson and I felt, you know, not to move all over the map here, you know, if you have a guy like Danielson and they just rule the top of the card, that's the mistake that WCW made back in the day where you take your outsiders 
not even a play on word with Nash and Hall. You take the people from outside the company and make them look 10 times better than any of your homegrown superstars. It just feels like your company was minor leagues. And that's what they like. The more I think about the Danielson loss to Hangman, the more I like it because it for, you know, the casual fan, they're watching AEW. Danielson comes in and he beats Hangman. No problem. He's champion. It's like, well, I guess WWE is a better company because he's their guy and he came in and beat AEW's guy. Yeah, the the odd time and the odd storyline. And this one I felt like might have been it. There is time to make an exception. But with the long-term storytelling um, that they that they do in AEW and, and the, the fact that it was the culmination of a, of a two-year story. Um, and, and honestly, they did it really well because I, I agree with you. Like, I really didn't know what they were going to do. I thought there was a chance they were going to screw him out of the title using the judges and give it to Danielson. But just having him lose, I was like, not, that changes nothing. Like, from, from a Danielson right. standpoint, he stays just as strong. And it did elevate Paige that much more that uh, that's exactly what you want to happen uh, came out of that program. So... So before we move on from this match, I mean, at this point, we're going to get the Punk and the MJF match. It's a matter of when. I'm assuming it's Revolution in March. But where do we go fast forward six months from now, five months from now, after Punk is done with MJF completely? Do eventually we move Punk to the world title picture? Or do we keep him away from that at this point? Because he's like a Roddy Piper. He doesn't need the title. Yeah, I, I at this point, I feel like, there's so many guys who are deserving. I mean, keep in mind, Mox is out right now. Um, he's a guy who's normally at the top of the card. Omega's out right now. So think about how many guys are on the show and aren't on the show already. Um, I think it'd be tough to shoehorn Punk in there. Um, he's all, he's at the top of the card regardless, right? And and like you said, like a Roddy Piper or a a Jake the Snake when guys go, well, why didn't they ever have the world title? Well, they, they really didn't need it. When you're that over, uh, it's not necessarily going to elevate you or the title. Um, but I, in the right scenario, I, I could see him going for the title. Uh, but yeah, in, in the current AEW and, and six months from now, no, I, I would have to say no. I, I, don't, I don't see him in the title picture at that point. And if he is, I don't, I don't see him uh, winning it. I certainly feel, and judging by Punk's interviews and things he said in the media, that his plan for AEW, he wants to make the young talent and make the future generation of wrestling just better. And I mm -hmm. think he probably recognized the talent in Wardlow, and, and not to mention MJF, where you know we forget how young MJF really is and all he's accomplished thus far in wrestling, where you forget that he's still a rookie. Like, he, he's so young, and... In this program, Punk is creating almost two stars where now Wardlow essentially destroyed Punk to the point where it's like, all right, there's no disputing Wardlow would have beat Punk straight up. And now MJF, I think MJF will get the win over Punk because I think that just has to happen because that's the future of AEW. Moral of the story is Punk is a guy that has the future in mind and he recognizes talent and wants to make the company better. And that's what you want from your older guys, older veteran guys, not sprinkling them in and making them hold the title like Kevin Nash in, in 2000. So it's just, a, it's very refreshing to watch these veterans give back to the business that made them, you know, so popular. I, I agree. And you actually just made me change my mind immediately because 
I think MJF will get the title at some point, maybe in the next six months. And in that case, I could see Punk winning it from him. I just don't see Punk beating Page or Moxley or Omega or Adam Cole or somebody like that. Because to me, that just doesn't make sense. But the MJF thing is like a payback and maybe you give him the title for a few months. That might be fun, but uh, other than that, no, I don't. Do you, do you do you see Punk in the title picture? I don't, only because of I like you said, it's stacked, and we got guys in the in the more deserving that should be there. And as far as working a full schedule, like Punk, you know, looking at Punk's database of matches, he wrestled that six man tag uh, with you know the at this point famous six man tag where he dressed this thing oh, as this. But before that, his last match on Dynamite as a singles match against QT Marshall was the day before Thanksgiving. So he's not wrestling a full schedule. He's out there. It feels like he's cutting a promo week to week. And they're using him in, I guess, an appropriate way. But I don't think he really wants to work the schedule that a world champion probably would have to work. I mean, Hangman, if you if you notice, Hangman worked uh, the dark tapings. And he's also on Rampage some weeks. And then he was on, on live on Dynamite. And... You know, I think Punk is better better suited not being the world champion because he can give back in other ways. Because once you put the title on Punk, where do you go from there? Yeah, that's that that's a good point. It's uh, I do I do expect to see him involved in like a faction of some sort eventually, even if it's temporary, even if it's just like a fun thing. Um, kind of maybe like Adam Page, where he's like affiliated with the Dark Order. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, he doesn't hang out with them every week though, kind of thing. But, I would uh, like, you know, for Punk, I guess my bucket list for 2022 is I want him to wrestle Brian Danielson in a meaningful match. No titles, doesn't have to be for anything, but I need that on pay-per-view on a big event, you know, main event on Dynamite, give them like 45 minutes to go because, uh, you know, in WWE, we got that. Ring of Honor, we obviously got that. I think on this stage in AEW, I think we need, because I think at this point, Brian Danielson's at the, in his best form ever. Can't really I, say the same about Punk, but I think that match would have held in such a high esteem that I need to see it before both guys, you know, hang up their boots because that's how good that, you know, that match would be. I I agree. I do want to see that. And yeah, and, and Punk can just, and, and the only reason I laugh is just because he's only had like, right. What's like eight or nine matches in seven years. Whereas like Danielson is like truly like, like it's yeah, he's truly in his best form. Punk six months from now we might be saying the same thing it's totally unfair to even compare but that that's why i giggled but um no cm punk you can just put him in in cool interesting matches like him and omega him and almost anybody like him versus hobbs was cool to see right like yeah him and Dante martin would be a cool him against literally you know the majority of the roster uh is fresh and interesting or it's something that they did at least seven or eight years ago so it's new again right yeah i am interested if they're ever going to have colt cabana and him cross paths i know the personal issues with the podcast post wwe leaving they've kept them so far apart but there's a history there when they were tagging and you can tell that i think that you know personal issues are not buried and i think they probably stay away from each other in the locker room because you had to think that they would have interacted by now if they were cool with each other I think if Adam Page didn't have that kind of uh, storyline with the uh, Dark Order, I feel like CM Punk is such a natural fit to kind of interact with with those guys because they're kind of like we're the outsider group, and like whether yeah. he actually liked them or whether he like thought they were dorks, or he's like, no, 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 like 
I'm actually like an outsider. Like you guys, you <laughs> yeah. guys, like eight of you. Like, what do you like? I just feel like there would be a lot of cool or funny stuff that they could do there. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we will definitely see. And I, again, I know that Nick was texting me during the match. I'm curious. And Nick, if you're watching right now, pop in. You can, you know, come in, the, in here and just uh, I see you commenting here. Um, Punk has a better chance at the TNT belt than the world championship belt, in my opinion. Nick, pop in here, get on here live. You can have a conversation with us. Nick was not a fan of what they did with Wardlow and Punk, and I'm curious what he thought would have been better. Uh, we didn't get to, I didn't want him to elaborate. I wanted to hear it live here on the air. So, uh, Nick, when you're ready, pop in here and we will bookmark the Wardlow opinion right here. So, moving on to the next match, we had Dante Martin defeating Powerhouse Hobbs, uh, who came out with Ricky Starks. And this match sort of was a letdown based off the angle that just happened with Punkin and um, and Wardlow. It felt like a little bit of a bathroom break match. I hate to say that because Dante Martin is so talented and so is Powerhouse Hobbs. It just didn't have – they weren't really clicking. I was shocked that Dante got the win here. Uh, but it was weird to put back-to-back matches with very similar guys. And I think if you would have separated them on the card, it would have been better. Like Hobbs and Wardlow are so, so similar down to the fact that they're both muscular guys that wear singlets. And, you know, they do power moves. Like, why would you stack them in the card like this? I think it would have been better suited maybe to put the Serena Deeb match here and then put maybe Powerhouse Hobbs at the uh, later in the card because he deserves much better than that. Um, I thought I thought it told a, a similar story, right? Like, it's the, the quicker, smaller guy against the bigger powerhouse guy. And the bigger powerhouse guy cuts off the smaller guy. Um but it didn't bother me too much. The, the one time it did bother me is when they did the exact same spot where they got thrown into the turnbuckle and then went to the outside. That was one spot where I'm like, I don't like when you do stuff back to back like that. Cause that kind of takes you, takes you away from it for a second. But overall I didn't, I didn't mind it. Um, but I could, but I can see where your criticism comes from though. So we had the ending. See Hobbs cut Dante off with a big uh, impact move. Starks tries to interfere, but Jay Lethal ran out to cut Starks off. Dante then hit the double springboard mood salt for the win. So Jay Lethal was on Dynamite. It was nice to see him. And here's my story about Jay Lethal. Nice. So in 2003, uh, in my, I live on Long Island, just for full transparency, uh, they used to have shows at Sports Plus. So they had this ballroom upstairs below. Uh, below was the arcade area with the different I know the games and stuff. I don't know. I'm not sure in Canada if they have a sports plus, but similar to Dave and Buster's. It's like one of those types of places. Thank you. Uh, upstairs, they have uh, this ballroom. They used to have a wrestling show there. So Ring of Honor was running shows there. And whenever they came to Long Island, they would go to shows there. And this place did not have any bathrooms. I mean, didn't have any locker rooms for these guys to change. So they would be getting changed in the public bathroom. So there was like this giant area where you could buy merch and whatever. But after the match, they would leave the ring and go straight to the like the bathroom where anyone could just like post up at the urinal and go to the bathroom. So I'm at the I, and I not keep in mind I've met CM Punk there and AJ Styles. AJ was nice enough to sign an autograph. Punk was not. Uh, he was in character. Um, I was wearing Punk merch and everything, and he just wouldn't sign me an autograph. But he was playing a heel. It was right. This is Ring of Honor. Ring of yep. Honor day. It, Oh, okay, yeah, okay. This is right before he signed with WWE. I think at the time he had just signed with WWE and he was going over to OVW oh, to so do his thing. He was a super heel at the time. Man. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. I go to the bathroom and I'm at the urinal and I look next to me. Jay Lethal's in there with his green tights peeing right next to me. So I was like, I want to say something to you, but I'm not because you're Jay Lethal and I'm like 15 years old. So that's my story about Jay Lethal. 
I peed next to the guy, and I'll, re- I'll remember you forever, Jay Lethal. So, anyway, it was great to see him on uh, on Dynamite. <laughs> That's, I guess you didn't think I was going there. I was going to make a joke, too, where, like, I'd be like, yo, bro. <laughs> so I totally peed on CM Punk a little bit. <laughs> Back Back in 2005, I told you <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> All right, so we're going to enter Nick in the room. Before we move too far uh, away from CM Punk and Wardlow, I want Nick to give his opinion. Nick, what's up, man? Thanks for joining. Up, man? What's, what's up, Jimmy? Up, How's it going? <laughs> Dude, you peed next to Jay Lethal? I did pee next to Jay Lethal, yeah. <laughs> There's no way to confirm or deny that story, so Jay Lethal clearly doesn't remember it. That's well, it. I remember it, Jay. I remember it. Sports Plus, dude. That was a long time ago. Yeah, they used to have the shows there. It used to be really awesome. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So I'm moving back to CM Punk over here. So you texted me. You said legitimate trash. That's what you said. So I want to hear how, oh, what, no. why. Why, well, why are you mad about this? But you, First of all, you know I overreact a lot to a lot of things. So that <laughs> definitely doesn't help. But I don't know. I was just pissed because I thought it was so good. And then I was like, are they really going to have – uh, Wardlow win and I've been saying I said to you two weeks ago or last week that Wardlow was going to win um, and you know with all the power bombs and then to make it worse hold on you put up that post on your Instagram on your story oh, and I was like why did you do that like, it just <laughs> well, made I me jinxed, mad but it was funny. I jinxed him yeah. yeah I think I predicted it with the with the power bombs meme like I yeah. I just I saw it coming like obviously he wasn't yeah. ready punk wasn't ready for it yeah so you, um, did you not like the cradle is that what the issue was or did you think yeah I just didn't love the way it I didn't love the cradle but I did understand it like you know you see MJF he was on the corner of the ring at that time right on the apron yeah so you know he was obviously saying something to him and you know it just worked out but it just wasn't the way I want like I like punk you know and I would have been okay with either of them winning but you know, I guess I never saw Punk like physically beating him, and you told me there'd be an interference, and I just didn't want to believe that. But you know, when are you? When am I right and you're wrong with this stuff? So wait, so would you be? So you wanted it to be? If you're booking it perfectly, Nick's in Nick's world, what would you have done there? I would have let. I would have had Wardlow win. I, you know, at just, that just point, had a pudding. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, I thought the story would be good because MJF is 0-1-1. I thought it would be good to keep him and CM Punk running the same record, kind of keeping things interesting between them and be like, oh, who can get the first win of the year maybe? But okay. then I was like, oh, how many more times are you going to have them each lose, you know, if that's going to be the way it goes down? So it was, a tr- it was a tricky thing. And, you know, like we've been talking about, there's been a lot of uh, booking yourself into a corner. I don't think that was this. But, you know, to me, it was just I just didn't love the cradle ending. Like, kind of weak, showed Wardlow was weak. Like, I didn't like that. You know, okay, but I get him I could, being distracted. I could see that. And as far as like match quality goes, like I said to Jimmy when I first entered here, I'm not sure if you were in the room yet. It was more like a angle being thrown than a, so much a match. It just felt like they were just, it was almost like a backstage segment at this point. Yeah. It wasn't about the quality of the match. And I think the two of them could probably have a really good match if you, you know, the chemistry's right. And then you tell the right, right. story. This was right. more about just getting Wardlow to look strong. And then Punk obviously just can't lose. So, yeah. I mean, they I didn't think take this the cheap way out. Yeah, but I think this will be what splits Wardlow and MJF, which will make things very interesting for both of them. So yeah. I don't know how they'll do it, but you know, I didn't see what happened after that. Like, I don't know if there was a backstage segment between the two of them or anything like that. I didn't get to see that much more of the show. So, so there, there is an MJF, and I will get to that uh, after. But let's move on to this segment, the Inner Circle and Eddie Kingston segment. Uh, this is, you know, I, I want to talk about low points on, on a show. The Inner Circle stuff with. 2.0 has really missed it for me. 
and Eddie Kingston is amazing. Jericho seems like overnight he's just lost a step in the ring, on the mic. It just seems like overnight he's almost jumped the shark. And it might have been like, we'll look back at the moment with the blockhead, squarehead stuff as the moment that he truly like, that's it. He's done. Like, we're going to close the chapter of like the goat of all time, the greatest of all time and, and Jericho. And it just seemed like it was really rough. Uh, so Chris mm-hmm. Jericho was flanked by the inner circle. He's interviewed backstage about being named PWI's 2021 faction of the year, uh, which was surprising to me that the inner circle won that, but that's a conversation for another time. They promised to dominate the company. He said, if 2.0 tried to interfere in the TNT championship match, they'll send them packing. Eddie Kingston walked up and Eddie Kingston, such an authentic character being from New York. He is like, <laughs> Jimmy, dude, he is like every guy you would meet in the city at a bodega. Like, Eddie Kings is not playing a character. Like, he's buying Newports at a, at a bodega, and he's ordering a bacon, egg, and cheese. Like, that's who Eddie Kingston is. Yeah. Um, Jericho got mad. They're trying to plant the seeds of, like, Santana and Ortiz, or LA, whatever you want to call them. Proud Power, I don't even care. Santana Ortiz not winning the tag titles because Jericho's holding them back. And... Eddie put that out in a shoot interview and it was, it came off as like, Oh, that's kind of weird. He said that. And then he said it on TV and now it's being pitched as an angle. It's a total miss for me. Uh, I am looking forward to Eddie and Jericho getting in the ring together. If Eddie is able to get the win, Uh, but if Jericho gets the win over Eddie, I'm like, I I think I'm done with Jericho altogether. Yeah. Yeah. That that cannot happen because Jericho, I feel like it's almost like he became uncool overnight. Like you said, and like, Rather than being a guy who's really innovative, which he's always been, now it's almost like he's just trying to soak up what other people are doing, kind of. And it's and like he's like, oh, Eddie Kingston's cool now. Let's let's do stuff with with Eddie Kingston. Then I guess it's like it seems like whatever's cool or like Orange Cassidy. It's like whoever is like the new hot thing. He's like, let's have a feud, and it's great if you actually do elevate them but like eddie kingston doesn't need a program with jericho like he eddie kingston is well established i'm actually less interested in eddie kingston since the jericho and 2.0 stuff nick what about your take on that i know you didn't watch the segment but initially i mean this has been brewing for a few weeks are you just as sour on it as we are yeah it's weird because it's like jericho went on tour came back and like kind of like you guys said he's just like isn't cool anymore and every time he's made an appearance it's like, yeah, your your theme song is awesome. But after that, like, you know, he's come out, what, twice since coming back? And it's just to, like, save people. Um, there was that show in Daly's Place or whatever. And he came out. Yeah, the out timing was off with that, too. Like, yeah, he came out to save uh, Santana. That's and, what it was, yeah. And, yeah, it just was so off. Like, he came out, like, if, if this was real, if we're going to go with kayfabe, where was he when he got hit in the face uh, with the ring bell? Like, dude, you waited this long for your music to hit so people could sing it? Uh, yeah. It just was a complete miss for me. And, you know, Jericho's done a lot of great things in his career, but the last few things he's done has been quite the dud, in yeah. my opinion. No, I agree. But, yeah, that's my thing. It's like you've come out, you haven't gotten on the mic really, and you haven't wrestled, and you're just coming out, running around with the bat. You kind of look stupid. It sucks. Like, I hate to see it, but it's just the way it's going. You yeah, know? and I mean, and, last week, too, with that, uh, the hair dye in his hair, he looked, I don't oh know, God. man, like, he looks Dude. bloated and like, uh, whatever. I don't want to make this a Jericho Rose session, but no, I know he's, I don't know. It's like you live long enough to see yourself turn into a villain. Like, I feel like we're seeing that with Jericho. He's been so cool. Like Jimmy said, he's been so innovative. He's had so many hits during his career. It's like he was bound to have a miss eventually. Right. Uh, so we talked about the segment with MJF. Uh, you want to know if he had a response. He did come out on the ramp, all worked up, all pissed. 
Uh, he said Punk had to be feeling a world of hurt after his fluke victory over an oaf tonight. So he made sure to say oaf about, and I wrote that down. Like they're definitely like trying to make sure you know MJF and Wardlow are going to be splitting. Uh, next week we'll take his first L in AEW. It seemed like MJF is about to challenge Punk to a match, but instead he booked uh, Punk versus Sean Spears. And Sean Spears, another guy, dude, like, come on. Like, I liked him when he first came in AEW. Ty Dillinger was a cool little gimmick he had in NXT. And then coming to uh, AEW, when he first did that chair shot on Cody, I was like, all right, he has an edge to him. He's so lame, man. Like, I, I don't know. Am I am I wrong here or am well, I? No, they, they kind of, I feel like maybe they felt like he wasn't getting over with, like, the casual crowd because he had more of like to me almost like a throwback gimmick like the chairman and he was always with tully and like i thought that was a cool thing uh, to me that worked but i guess because that probably didn't get over with casuals they're like oh let's let's make him like a, a psycho chair guy where like he gets aroused when he hits people with the chair and he yeah. wears toques and suits like what the fuck <laughs> Well, I remember these uh, one of the one of the stadium stampedes. He was in the room with all the chairs, and like you said, he got like turned on. It's like, <laughs> really, like he's in the room with the chairs, and they're glowing and stuff. And the stadium stampede is supposed to be sort of, you know, it's like you know, tongue in cheek, and it's going to be a joke in a lot of ways. But I was like, dude, Sean Spears is so lame. Like, yeah. I love AEW, but he doesn't do it for me. And like, because you whatever. can make it be cool, like he it's cool to hit people with like, we think it's cool to hit people with something like, like Sandman had zero wrestling moves. He would just come out and hit guys with a kendo stick. We're like, that's right. awesome. He didn't be like, Ooh, the things <laughs> I'm going to do later with this. <laughs> the faces I'm going to take it. Ooh, like it's, you don't oh, have to man. be aroused by it. Like it, it's cool enough. Just hitting guys with chairs. Like, yeah. It, Hitting Cody and splitting his head open is was newsworthy enough. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like we talked about before, Jimmy and, and Nick, there was a million segments here that fit a lot of guys on, on the show. So following this with MJF on the ramp, uh, the Super Click and Red Dragon were backstage. Adam Cole said Chris Statlander wasn't safe anymore, and he and Britt Baker challenged Statlander and Orange Cassie to a mixed tag match. Uh, really cool to see uh, Adam Cole and Britt Baker together. I'm very excited to watch them on Rampage, and I will completely watch Rampage. I'm looking for a reason to tune in on Friday nights, and they gave me a reason. I will definitely well, that's, watch this that's match. Actually, that's actually on Dynamite. All right, I will watch Wednesday either way. <laughs> <laughs> I will not watch Rampage live, I guess. I know, because um, I, I noticed at the end of the show, they were like naming off all these matches, and I was, and they're like, this is on Rampage, this is on Rampage, this is on Rampage. And then the match that I wanted to see, which is that one, they're like, Next Wednesday, and I'm like, oh, never mind. Another week, I'm not watching Rampage. <laughs> I have, I wrote down uh, both cards, and like every week, there. And I love that they're booking out far in advance because you know you want to watch Raw SmackDown. They change the card morning of, and it's completely, it's you know rolling the dice. You don't know what you're going to get on TV that night. AW books weeks out, and that's really cool. Like we've been looking forward to the Wardlow match since they made it a week ago, and you have all week to build it up. And just now you have social media, you can show the graphics, you could build it up in your mind as well. And I think that really helps. So uh, having a week to plan for this mixed tag match, I think it's going to be really cool to, to watch. Um, following this Hangman page promo and the Lance Archer return. So this is another, uh, I guess, controversial decision here. And I understand where they're coming from. And I guess we'll go round table about uh, what happened after and how you guys feel about where they're going uh, or where it seems like they're going. Uh, so Hangman came out to a great reaction he was wearing a cool Smokey the Bear shirt, which I wrote down. I think 
Uh, it was a really cool shirt. Uh, it looks like he's going thrifting, which uh, I did appreciate. Uh, over the past month, he spent 90 minutes in the ring with one of the best in the world. He really was putting over Brian Danielson. It made me sort of feel maybe they're going to go back to Brian being a face because they were, or maybe he'll be one of those gritty veterans that's just sort of respected. And he just, he's neither, he's a tweener. He's not going to be face or heel. And it just matters on who he's wrestling at the time. Uh, Dan Lambert interrupted. And I thought for sure they were going to be like, all right, we're going to have Ethan page wrestle or Scorpio sky wrestle page for the title. Uh, in the next, you know, couple couple weeks, and I was like, "There's no way they go in this direction because I don't need these guys, American Top Team or whatever they're called, in the main event picture." I was like, "I'm completely done with that." Uh, Page told Lambert to get to the point. Lambert complimented Page that he didn't take the Cody Rhodes route uh, backstage and use politics to get to where he was. Page has earned everything but the cowboy persona he wears. Lambert says he uh, to keep the title and the money, but stop disrespecting the legacies of the wrestlers that came before. Uh, the segment was about to end, but Lance Archer ran out of nowhere, uh, returned from his injury. Great to see him back, first of all. Don't want to discredit that. Uh, he got in Lambert's face, but suddenly attacked Paige and beat him down, and then he hit the blackout on top of the chair, which was a sick spot. Like I was like, there's no way they're going to do it on top of the chair, and yes, they do. And Paige took it like a champ. Uh, Archer's a monster. And I mentioned him as one of those guys that gets lost in the fold. He's a guy that has been sort of taking the backseat since his debut. Uh, but, you know, this just feels like another loss he's going to be taking. And it's like he's put on a platter for Hangman to get a, a win, an obvious win, and keep his title ring going. And it just feels, I don't know, like for a main event feud, maybe they'll do it on Dynamite, but I certainly hope it's not going to be at Revolution. So I guess we'll start with Jimmy. What was your feeling on that segment? It was it was interesting. Um, I don't see Lance Archer as a world title guy, anyways. Like I I like him. He's cool, but um, for me, I mean, to use him in this way, to you know have the classic kind of big monster heel versus the underdog babyface. Uh, I feel like it's you know it'll elevate Page, and I mean if they can do it the right way, I feel like it can elevate Archer as well. Because I mean. For a lot of people, I feel like, especially casual fans, Archer probably isn't really on the radar much, um, especially if they right. weren't watching during the whatever. What did, what do we call the no crowd era? But um, I guess pandemic era wrestling for sure. Yeah. So so if you weren't watching then, that's kind of when he was getting pushed a lot, a lot more. And so uh, especially like let's say you're somebody who's only been watching since uh you know danielson got there kind of thing right you're probably you probably don't know much about archer so this could be a, a good chance to get really exposed to him and uh adam page has shown he's not adverse to doing some more like kind of hardcore stuff so perhaps we see uh some more blood i'm cool with it what about you nick that I, he just finished off by saying seeing some more blood I do think that Archer would be a step down from Danielson, but I do think like if you make it a true bloodbath and you kind of know like Archer is more of a violent wrestler than Danielson is, um, I think you can boost both of them, absolutely. I don't see him walking away with the title. I think Hangman will hang on, of course, but I think it's another step showing that Hangman can take a beating and, you know, it'll end, it'll end red, but. Yeah, last time we saw Lance Archer was in October uh, against Eddie Kingston in the Eliminator Tournament, and he lost. It seems like I'm going through his catch.net database, and I'm not sure if you guys have ever used that site. Great resource if you're ever looking for so last late. time they wrestled. One, yeah, one so it tells you wh where it was, 
what companies, so if you have guys that are in the indies and stuff that are wrestling elsewhere, you can see everywhere they've been in the last year. Um, but Archer has a lot of L's on there aside from those uh, enhancement matches where he's just squashing jobbers. Um, you know, going all the way back to the first TNT title match where he lost to Cody, it seems like every big match that Archer's in, he wrestled Moxley for the title. And I'm not saying he should be the world champion. It just seems like you want to book him as this monster, but he never actually comes through and defeats anybody. Like he just defeats the scrubs. And when he gets to the, you know, the main event talent that's in the ring with him, it's just like, you know, he's losing. And I think like, I agree with what you guys are saying that he will provide a good challenge. And I know hangman needs sort of a layup win where it's like impressive. You know, he'll be the, you know, the, the big show version of like your world title reign or Kane. Like you just like beat that guy post, you know, in your career and you sort of extend your title reign and gives you that big check mark because Archer's a big guy and he looks dangerous. He has a great look and look like he was in a kill page in the ring. So for the casual fan, I think it's going to really resonate. But for me, who's like seen Archer all throughout and seeing how strong he was booked coming in, like, oh, this guy's going to be a player here. And he's just, he falls flat. Um, but that being said, I am looking forward to the match as long as it's done right. I think it needs to have a stipulation on top of it, you know, add some chairs, barbed wire, whatever you got to do, uh, and give Hangman, I guess, his crowning moment, uh, just beating a guy handily because obviously with Danielson, he had trouble with him. Yeah. My, uh, I got to go after this, but, um, when Moxley and Kingston fought, who did they fight when we were at, uh, Arthur Ashe? They fought Lance Archer and, uh, Minoru Suzuki was in the match as well. Yeah, but I, the promo before that was what like really locked him into Lance Archer because he beat Eddie Kingston, I guess, the week before, and he called out John Moxley, and he was like, oh, something about I think his wife was pregnant. And he was like, uh, he said, something, something, you have to uh, say goodbye to your wife and your soon-to-be kid because I'm going to fucking bury you in Queens. And I remember being like, that is terrifying, and that is <laughs> awesome. So yeah, I, if you I want a good if you want a good Archer match to watch, watch their match from Wrestle Kingdom. I think it was three years ago. It was Moxley versus Archer, and I wasn't really familiar with Archer so much as remembering his time as Lance Hoyt in TNA. Uh, so he was he's come a long way since that time where he had like that weird butterfly trans, tramp stamp. Um, so he's certainly a different guy here, uh, and I think he's come a long way, but. You know, you want to book a guy like a monster. He needs some legitimate wins under his belt before you start taking him seriously. Yeah. And he's sort of jumping the, the line, too. Like, right, exactly. With the like rankings, now, you're jumping the line. Right. Like, if he loses, now who do you go and put him against? You know? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. you could throw him against anybody, but are you going to start him off on, like, the scrub level? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, I don't know. I think so desperately they need those six-man titles because a guy like Archer would do so well. You pair him with another two guys. And I know you don't want to throw teams together, but he would do really well in a team that would have – uh, you know, challenging for something, and like he doesn't have a legitimate tag team partner. So I think putting him in meaningful feuds for different titles would seem a little bit more important. Or throw him back in the TNT title feud, like you know, yeah. you know, maybe give him a TNT title run at this point. Like I think he needs right. something to legitimize him because at this point he's done nothing in AW except lose. Yeah, it's tough. Put him with uh, Malachi Black. I'm not against that. Yeah, House of Black is grown. We're getting there eventually. There is uh, a lot of movement okay. there. I was going to say, I'm going to have to text you because I got to get out of here, but I'm going to send you a text because I want to know if I know who that guy is who showed up. All you right, sounds good. Know. Nick, thank you for All jumping right. in, man. Yeah, you got it. All right, so Art Anderson is backstage with his son, Brock and Lee Johnson. He said it was proud of these two, but Tully Blanchard and FTR uh, interrupted and tried to recruit Brock, and they challenged Brock and Lee to a match next week. Another cool uh, 
meaningful, I guess, segment to build up a match. They didn't have to do this. They could have just showed us the match card, but I thought it was at least really cool to see Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard interacting in North Carolina. Just a little nod to wrestling history. Yeah, and you don't see, uh, or at least I maybe I've missed it, but I don't see Brock uh, on Dynamite a lot. Uh, so it's cool to see him there. And then, uh, yeah, any anything with Four Horsemen or anything that's a wink to the '80s, anything that FTR, basically everybody involved in this, I'm I'm big on, other than Lee Johnson, because just right. uh, not not nothing against him. Just you know, he's not the Four Horsemen, so right um but yeah no i i was cool with it it's this was almost one of those that felt like oh let's let's put some more people on the show and let them know there's a match but like we said as even if it feels forced i'd rather them get them in so yeah it's not it was nice to see so we followed up with serena deep defeating hikaru shida this match is pretty quick uh they're giving serena a mean streak she's going after Shida's knee all match and eventually the ref calls for the bell uh this feud seemed like it was never ending, and I don't think it's over yet. I, I listened to your podcast. I think it was two weeks ago you mentioned that they were building toward this match. Not sure where they're going. I do like the fact that they're having an undercard for the women outside of just the two championships. It's nice to see that you know in other companies, they're just going building feuds around titles and championships and uh, things that like that. Sometimes there should be grudge matches in the women's division, and this is one of them. I'm not a huge fan of like Serena Deeb's character in AEW. Love Sheeta, but I think it's nice to have an undercard uh, to lean on the women's division because it just it makes it seem a little bit more important. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely something important uh, for them to do. This this rivalry in particular, I, I'm not sure where it's going, or I'm not sure if I totally understand Deeb's motivations. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's like you said, it's important to established kind of other than just the two titles and to to get the women involved as much as possible but uh but yeah i don't, I don't know tonight was cool because it was you know she just came out they told the story i mean obviously the the injury thing and i don't know i just want to i'm just not sure where, where it's ultimately going but uh but i always have faith in the long-term storytelling i agree with that and listen i mean if as long as you're having someone like sheeta on the card because when Sheeta wasn't world, uh, women's world champion, it seems like she was lost in the shuffle. So as long as she's on the card, in my opinion, I'm happy to see her. So I, I like seeing her have other things to do if she's not involved in the world title picture because, you know, she's one of those talented wrestlers that should be on the show almost every week because that's how you get, you know, the women's division a little bit more credible when you can have Sheeta on there every week if she's not wrestling Britt Baker for the title or at least in a main event feud. So it's nice to see. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a small handful of the women there uh, – that the more that they can kind of be on then then the better it'll be for, for the entire division. Yeah. I think she is one of those established characters that feel like they're important. And anytime you want to throw her in a program with Brit or, you know, whoever's women's champion feels like it could be legitimate. Uh, and I, hopefully it raises Serena Deeb up to that level where you feel like she can make the jumper as well, because as we talk about from week to week, we need to find a way to get this, this women's division bolstered to the point where, you feel like it can be, you know, hang with WWE. Not that they're comparing themselves, but, you know, we want the women's division to feel uh, just on par with the men's division. And it's not even close to that at this point. I mean, Britt is, Brit is up there. I would compare Britt to anyone in the company as far as popularity, charisma, in-ring talent. Uh, but, but after her, as we continue to talk about, there's a huge drop-off. And you can't say the same about the men's division. I mean, it's completely loaded. Uh, so we had the Jurassic Express and Christian uh, backstage. They wish Ray Phoenix well. 
Uh, they outlined an open challenge. They're going to be fighting champions, which I guess is cool. Uh, nice to see. Very old school. Uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds keep from the Dark Order, and they challenge them on Rampage. So this is making you want to watch Rampage. This tag title match. Are you you're into it? I forgot. I forgot that was on there. And the way they do it, they do like the best match usually first. So I'll probably at least tune in for the first 20 minutes of Rampage. Yes, should be a good match. I love John Silver and Alex Reynolds. I think you know Jurassic Express isn't losing the title. Uh, they aren't losing the title this quickly, but uh, I want to see the tag champions defend frequently especially based on what happened with the lucha brothers you know lucha brothers i think went weeks and weeks without i go on cage match and look it up right now but they went yeah. weeks and weeks without defending the titles and that took a lot away from their reign i hope jurassic express are fighting champions and we should see the tag titles defended uh on tv not every week but like you know every two weeks every three weeks we should see at least some movement there I agree, and I think that we will see them uh, not only defended more often, I think we're gearing up for a tournament or some kind of big like six-way match or something because they really on the – I don't know if you picked up on it, but obviously last week the way the show ended with all the tag teams, but this week there was two or three times where JR was like, wow, this, this tag team division, everybody wants a piece, and – uh yeah. obviously there was the thing with the young bucks and red dragon um and then yeah there's just a, a couple oh uh, sorry with ftr later and then uh so uh darby and sting so they're kind of uh, the acclaim sorry they're so oh, they all keep popping in my head right yeah there's i think they're gearing up towards so something big uh that they're doing there not to mention malachi and the debuting brody king who debuted uh following this match spoiler alert uh, the tag division is an embarrassment of riches at this point. They are taking, it's almost like they're just, they're laying it on to embarrass everybody else and showing we're rejuvenating tag team wrestling. We're making it feel important and we're prioritizing it. And I love tag team wrestling. I always did. One of my favorite things to watch during the attitude okay. era was the new age outlaws. I love, and, and then further past that edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys. Those are my favorite parts of the card and watching AEW sort of, have a renaissance of tag team wrestling. It's just really fun to watch. It's one of my favorite parts of the show from week to week. 100%. So we have Pentel Saramiro, fresh off uh, being a singles wrestler again, defeating Matt Hardy with Private Party. Uh, Matt Hardy was cutting a promo in the beginning of this. And based on the fact that we're running out of time and that Tony had said there would be a surprise on social media, I for a second was thinking Matt Hardy would have Jeff come out here for whatever reason. And then I don't know. I, I think eventually we may have Jeff join them, but I thought that was truly happening here, especially with Matt Hardy getting on the mic. How often does Matt get on the mic and start talking? So I thought we were going to see Jeff and they're going to sort of get the pop in route Ra and Raleigh, North Carolina. It was like set up on a, on a, uh, fair, fair on enough. a tee for them. Yeah. Um, you got the but, whole Carolina thing going there too. Yeah. I was very happy that they didn't go that route. And I will elaborate that on another time. Uh, I think as far as Nostalgia Act goes, I think AEW is better than that. Uh, I don't think we need to rely on Nostalgia acts, especially in the tag division, as we just mentioned, is so loaded. We don't have to rely on the Hardys to come back here and, and add to it. I mean, the Hardys, they had their time. We had the match with the Bucks at Ring of Honor final battle years ago. Then they had their WrestleMania moment. We've had the match. So in my opinion, Matt Hardy should continue what he's doing. I'm not a huge fan of the HFO, but I'd like to see him as a manager more so than an in-ring competitor because 
I agree. You know, he he just seems like one of those guys that's lost a step, and he's better suited on the you know as a character outside of the ring. And you know, as much as I don't like the HFO stuff, I like him as a manager, and I think he can still help the young talent get over. Uh, we had dueling Saramieto and Delete Chance. Uh, Penta did the glove stick. It was cool to see Penta uh, wrestle as a singles competitor. Uh, it had me yearning for possibly a main event push for him. And I don't know if we're ever going to see that here in AEW simply because of the fact that it's such a loaded uh, top heavy roster that he's one of those guys that takes a backseat to a lot of the talent there, but he was in a main event, a main event spot in impact. So I was, it- I was going to say, didn't he te- technically he was the main event of the first AEW event which what right which was at the ro the one that roh actually funded but oh uh, yeah the one yeah All against in. kenny omega yep well he did right? the main event they were second to last match but it was like the highly touted match where the best mexican wrestler is best wrestling the best wrestler from japan or canadian wrestler kenny omega uh and then jericho came out and did his whole thing and like shocked the world but yeah he could be used in that in that spot and for me penta is just i don't know if it gets sort of lost on everybody else, but I love watching him wrestle. Uh, and I don't know if I'm just blinded by my fandom of him, but I, I see he could be a legitimate main eventer. And I loved him with his brother, Ray, but I think Penta could be a legitimate main eventer. And uh, the stuff he could do in the ring is explosive. He looks, I mean, want to talk about toyetic and guys that make good action figures and merchandise. The guy is a walking action figure. So uh, I don't know. I'm a big Penta fan. I was happy he got the win here. The match was pretty good. Penta pulled out all the stops here, and we saw more from him this week than we usually see him in the tag in the tag matches. Um, he hit the fear factor for the win. Very clean win here. He's in line, looks like, for a push coming up. Maybe not a main event push, but he's in line for a push. After the match, Penta addressed Malachi Black in Spanish, saying he showed Penta some respect. Uh, the lights went out again, and I knew him, and as soon as that happened, they mentioned Malachi Black. Brody King was coming out, uh, but it was uh, Malachi Black, and JR called him Alistair Black. I'm not sure if he caught that. No, uh, I he, didn't. Yeah, he called him Alistair Black. I'm sure there'll be uh, some commentary about that on social media. Uh, he had, uh, Malachi almost had, almost called almost made me call him Alistair. Uh, attacked Alberhantes, down Penta with a high kick, and went after Penta's mask, but the Varsity Blondes ran out and beat him down, and Julia Hart got them to stop. Uh, the lights went out again, and Brody, Brody King appeared in the ring. Uh, Obviously, Malachi, if people don't know, and Brody King are current PWG tag team champions. And they're known as the kings of the Black Throne on the indies. I think they're going to go by House of Black here. I thought it was an awesome debut. The guy is a monster, Brody King. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he is someone that I was looking forward to his debut since they said he signed. Um, I haven't watched many of his matches, but he's uh, just because I keep up with all the news as soon as the rumors kind of started. I looked into them a little bit. I, From a visual standpoint, I mean, they look like they're from the same gang. So that's uh, so that it works for me from a visual standpoint. So, yeah, as long as he's a half-decent wrestler, which from everything I've, I've seen and heard, uh, he, he's more than that. So, yeah, that's it's interesting. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they add a, a third or if they kind of keep it as the two of them, I have a theory that that's where uh, Miro is going now that he's against God. I see him going all the way Marilyn Manson, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. That'd be really cool. And that's definitely something to think about because I think Miro is one of those other guys. I want to talk about getting lost in the shuffle. Miro is a guy who 
deserves to be at the upper card and giving these guys something to do. Imagine you get the six-man titles. You get Malachi, Brody, and Miro as a six-man team. I mean, Ooh. who's beating that? And then you also could have them face the Elite or Red, uh, you know, Undisputed Error or the Paragon, whatever you want to call them. Like that six-man <laughs> division could be absolutely unstoppable. Um, but my my main takeaway from this is that I thought Julia Hart was hinting she's turning. Like I really feel she stopped the attack. She's wearing the eye patch. They there's some canon where uh... Malachi spits the mist at you and you become evil in some way. And I okay. think Julia Hart's going to be their evil valet. And I think she's going to be like maybe the final piece of, and Miro could be as well, but she'll be a piece of house of black because you need a female talent in there. And I think Julia Hart's well on her way. And we're going to see the split of the varsity blondes. I didn't, I, wow. That's, I like, I like where your head's at. I didn't go, I, I didn't go there at all. And now that you say it, it's like, you're right. Like the stuff with Cody and that's his whole thing. He's like, it's not even about beating you. It's about like changing. It's about like making you see the other side kind of, uh, yeah, no, I think you could be, you might be onto something there. I hope so because I think they probably had big plans for Malachi and it just shows you how lost WWE creative was. They, they gave Malachi or Alistair at the time free reign sort of to develop the father, the dark father figure on SmackDown following losing his eye to Seth Rollins on in that feud with him all the way back in 2020. Uh, but now we have Malachi debuts on SmackDown and then they fire him the next day. The guy is a creative genius. He has an amazing look. He's amazing in the ring. He's one of those guys you look at like, how did you miss the boat on this guy? He's watching his run in NXT as NXT champion, his match with Andrade back all the way back. How many years ago that was 2018. He's had, un, you know, so many good matches in NXT. He really didn't get the chance to shine on the main roster aside from his feud with Buddy Murphy. I'm not sure if you saw any of those matches. Uh, but there was some bright spots for, for Alistair or Malachi Black on WWE. But he's really getting a chance to shine here in AEW. And I'm really looking forward to see what they do with him. And he is, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, like a Roddy Piper type. Uh, somebody who doesn't need a belt or someone like somebody whose character is so strong and evokes such a reaction just on their own uh that it, it would almost be silly to even include them in like it's like I, I don't think he's motivated to get a little trinket you know what right. i mean like <laughs> he's got deeper motivations and it and it's cool to have guys like that on the show it 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 it, it adds layers to it and uh makes for a better watch because you can't have two hours of i want it i'm going for the belt yeah, I, I'm right. trying to get the championship, and oh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep you from the championship. Oh, I, I want the championship too, and it's obviously you can only have uh, so many people in the in the title picture. So no, it's it's uh, I really like what they're doing. Yeah, he seems like a mix between Bray Wyatt when he was doing his thing and Ministry Undertaker mixed together, mixed together with like a cult type of feel to him, and they're giving him free reign to do his thing and. You can just tell his mind works in different ways where he's building the story with the mist and then the stuff with the eye. He's keeping kayfabe in that way, and it's very consistent. So hashtag long-term storytelling. This guy is um, – they have something big planned for him. And I, like you said, it's probably not involving a title, but you know his takeover of AEW might be what they originally had in mind for the Dark Order when they first debuted all the way back in the beginning of, uh, of AEW's existence because – I think you can have House of Black just infiltrate every area of the company. It doesn't have to be for the world title, but 
you start filling in the gaps with mid card guys, tag guys, and then Malachi as this dark leader, you could start causing havoc on the main roster, and that would make for some good TV. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. We had Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, and Layla Hirsch backstage. This again was like sort of an uneventful backstage segment, but they're you know, they're they're hyping up the fact that Statlander and Layla Hirsch are at their with some differing odds here. Uh, they're backstage with Tony Schiavone. Hurst wanted Statlander to focus on their upcoming trios match before Velva talked her down. Again, trying to fit these guys on TV. It was nice to see, like, again, the women getting some shine on the TV. And we're seeing built, you know, building not just the women's title match or the TBS title match. We're seeing women that have other grudges going on, and the division is better for it. We- yeah, it's, uh, it's Statlander is somebody who's uh, grown on me. They've made her a little more human uh over the last couple months which in like a when a character like kane or like malachi for instance like let's say they they make them more human it doesn't work but her alien character was a little yeah. too it was a little too silly but i they've reeled it in where i feel like it's kind of the right balance now um so i i like i think she's more interesting um more humanized and uh, i like red velvet personally i i think she's uh a, a good addition. I, I like her and, uh, and, and Layla's got, got something different too, that, that a lot of the other women don't have. And, uh, yeah, almost like a Taz Kurt angle kind of thing going. And, uh, yeah, so all, all three women are, are, are interesting to me. And, uh, I, I really like, I think that, like you said, kind of that mid card of, of AEW, I feel like they're, I don't want to say stacked, but I feel like they're, it's, it's there. Like the talent is there. It's, just like you said, it's more so that top end, the Britt Baker level. And I think through time, a lot of these women will make that jump. You know, perhaps a Layla or or Chris Statlander or uh, Jake Cargill eventually, right? So I, I think it, it it's happening. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, it just feels bare compared to WWE, who's so top-heavy, uh, you know, with the four horsewomen and, and Asuka and Naomi. And you can go through the list of credible women that – uh, would come over and would instantly be elevated in AEW. I mean, look at Ruby Riot or Ruby uh, Soho now, right? I mean, she's somebody who was almost forgotten in WWE, and boom, right into the title picture in AEW, right? So, yeah, and I think the TBS title will only help that because of the fact now that the mid card women have something to fight over, and it doesn't have to be for the title, but. You just add that to the rankings where there's another, you know, another thing for people to step up on and use it to elevate other talent because, you know, we'd like to look at titles as a person making a title, but sometimes the title makes the person too, where the TBS title could elevate someone like Statlander who let's be honest, she's gotten the main, she's gotten the main event push, but she hasn't really been taking that next jump. I mean, she's feeded with Britt Baker. She's like, they're, they're hinting at it again. It doesn't feel like she's quite there yet, but maybe if you have her have a, a successful run with the TBS title, build some more of her character, make her feel like she's a big deal. That could help down the line, but uh, good things for the women's division. And I'm, I'm definitely happy where they're going. It feels like it it's building somewhere and I'm, that's all you can ask for. Yep. So we have the acclaimed uh, Anthony Bones and Max Caster defeat Bear Country, Bear Bronson. And they what the, what's with the A's and the scissoring? <laughs> I like I like it because it's like it's like aggressive and almost like sexual. It's like it's like degeneration de- X energy almost. It's like yeah, they they have become one of my favorite parts of Dynamite when they're out. 
the fact that they were on dark, I think it was Monday. I, or it was Monday. I watched it because they were on it. And that says a lot because I think they have been, they're interesting when they come out, their entrance is exciting. And in the ring, they're getting better and better every week. I mean, you mentioned the tag division. You get these guys. They're the number one contenders right now, allegedly. Uh, although, you know, the Dark Order is getting the, the title shot. So whatever, we can talk about the rankings all, all, all night. But the acclaimed have come a really long way since the beginning of their debuts. I love them together. I'm a sucker for legitimate tag teams that have grown over time. Um, I see a lot of potential in both Bowens and Caster. I think that they have a lot of, a lot of things they do really well. And this match sort of showcased them in a way that uh, a lot of their matches on dark and other matches don't, because whenever they're in a ring, they, it seems like they're just squashing teams. And I thought it was going to be more of the same here. Bear countries, you know, an under an undercard type of team. Very impressive. I love Bear Bronson and Bear Boulder. They have a good look, uh, but it certainly felt like it was going to be a squash match, but they, they definitely put the fight to the acclaimed and the match was really good. Um, Boulder fought off both the acclaimed on his own. And set up the bear bomb. Caster avoided it, rolled up Bronson for two, and then he hit the mic drop for the win. Uh, Caster's elbow drop is getting better and better every week. It resembles uh, Macho Man's elbow drop. Um, Really good match for what it was. They fit it on the card. It wasn't the best thing, but it showcased a tag team again. You want to talk about the mid-card of the women? There's a mid-card of the tag titles as well that sometimes you have to just, you know, have matches that don't have anything to do with number one contenderships or winning a title. It just felt... You know, it was a good match to watch. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Like, I love the acclaimed. Uh, at the first couple times, I, I was like, oh, I don't know. These guys are just going to be, like, annoying rapper gimmick. But they do it so well. They're I, I agree. Like, they're such a big part. When I see them, I, I get excited. I'm like, yes, they, like, they're on the show. Um, yep. They got they got cheered. I don't think – I was confused. I think were Bear Country supposed to be the faces in the match? Because, like – it, they were, yeah. I mean, they rip on the crowd and stuff. They claim they're definitely heels. Yeah, that's what I'm like. They're they were supposed to be the heels, right? They were getting cheered with the like. It seems like the fans are kind of noticing. Like these these guys are pretty dope. Like you know, so no. Yeah, I, he, I he mentioned something about uh, you have no shot, like Djokovic, which was a was a nice line. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, he you said know, shot uh, of Djokovic not having the vaccine, so. Um, but they are, they're very like someone posted on Squared Circle. I'm huge on Reddit when I, I, I go on Reddit and I, I read it every day. And on Squared Circle, uh, the community can be toxic for sure, but there's a lot of good information there. Uh, someone posted a template of every acclaimed rap and just like what they do, like relevant sports team and then uh, edgy line. But it's so true. But they pull it off so well. And Caster really has charisma about him to like, he pulls it off, although he doesn't seem like he could, he does. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's like I said, on paper and like at first glance, you're like, oh, because I'm used to the WWE version of it, right? So I'm thinking like, oh, these guys are going to be corny and overdone and they're going to be like, it's going to be like a racist stereotype kind of like thing. And like, no, yeah. it's it's literally just two dudes being charismatic and, and getting over. Like, I th- they're great. They're super talented and it shines through every time I see them. Yeah, and Bowens with the, uh, you know, the acclaimed have arrived every week when he does, like, that stuff <laughs> yeah, gets over that. because fans now, you have predictable things you're going to say in the ring that when people are in the arena, you your music hits, he grabs the mic, people know what to say, and that's how you get crowd involvement, and it's smart. They have a repetitive nature to what they do, and their routine is sticking, and they feel like, you know, they feel like a big deal. 
Uh, and, you know, to further talk about that, Darby and Sting, they're building towards a match with the two of them. Uh, so after the match, Sting made his entrance. Darby Allen attacked Caster from behind and took out ba- uh, and Sting took out balance with the bat. Sting hit the Scorpion Death Drop to end the segment. So we are cruising towards a match with the Acclaimed and Darby and Sting. And whether Darby and Sting lose or win, it's great for the Acclaimed to have the rub of having – I mean, imagine Max Caster three years ago when he's training in Create-A-Pro and say, you're going to be wrestling Sting on national television. Like, the dude would have been like, sign me up. Of course, yeah. So sure. awesome segment. Um, I love Darby and Sting together, and at first I didn't, and I didn't really see the point. I love them together, and they're using Sting perfectly on AEW. Um, he doesn't feel like he's overshadowing other talent, but he also he checks that box for nostalgia as well, whether it be Tony Schiavone screaming, it's Sting, or whether it be like him just hitting his spots. And when he's in the ring, he's not embarrassing himself. Like it's a perfect mix. This is how you book a uh, tail, you know, run into the run into the distance, and um, how you book like a goodbye tour. It's not really a farewell tour, but it just feels uh, like they're just highlighting Sting and giving him like the round of applause with an audience that loves him, like loves him so much. Yeah, it's weird that I've gotten used to seeing him in action again because like when he first was like taking bumps and stuff again i was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. like you have that yeah. kind of like almost like a an overprotective parent like feeling which is hilarious because he's twice my age but um but then like i i now the opposite where i'm so used to it now it's it's now i'm just like oh yeah yeah sting doing stings oh yeah cross body off the top oh yeah like it's <laughs> right it's weird it's like what is wrong with me that i've gotten so used to it but just speaks to how amazing he is and 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 how good a job they've done uh, of booking him like you said they uh i noticed with his face paint he pushed it a little bit further back to hide the receding hairline and it looked much better this week like i think he looked really like the extra black paint looked really good i have to mention yep. that Taking shots at all the legends this week. Come on, I'm sorry, uh, dude. I'm sorry. Jericho was called for. I mean, I mean it with full respect to Sting, but Jericho, you mean dye your hair two nights before, bro? Why are you dyeing it before you go out to the ring? I mean, listen, you're allowed to dye your hair. It's no shame in the game, man. But like, why are you sweating brown? <laughs> exactly. It's like I don't know if you saw the highlight of Rudy Giuliani at like his press conference where he's like bleeding black hair dye. It was like that. I'm like, come on, Jericho. Like, you want to? I want to think you're cool. It's just like, it's like the dad who jumped, the, you know, jumped the shark at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have this pack video package, which I just feel like I had to mention here. And I put the quote. Uh, he he says he's blind now, but his vision has never been so clear. And this is based off of the Malachi Black uh, mist in the eye. I don't know. I was torn. I felt like he wants to come out for revenge from Malachi, but maybe he'll be one of those guys that joins House of Black. He was holding the cards. The, the segment really felt like that Malachi segment they had weeks and weeks ago where he hinted at Brody. I'm not sure if you got the same vibe. Yeah, no, you're right. And especially based on your earlier theory, now everything to do with Malachi, I'm going to overanalyze. So, um, no, I think I think you're right that – I. I agree. It's it, it definitely it had a really cool. I really enjoyed this this vignette, and it had like a a very theatrical like it it, it truly. I'm like like that could have been a movie preview. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, that I don't know. They did a really really good job with that, especially because Pack is a guy that while is a is a talented wrestler and is very exciting to watch. To me, is somebody that does almost nothing for me. Like as far as uh 
character standpoint. Um, so I was really intrigued and I'm like, oh shit, like this kind of gives him a new edge um, whenever he does come back. And yeah, it could go either way. I could see him for sure, obviously wanting to get revenge or I could see him joining the House of Black. And I wonder if we'll get some kind of odd like, He'll like he'll he'll be able to see through it, but I wonder if they, we almost get like that he's like a blind wrestler. I want I wonder where we go with that because he looked yeah. kind of cool, like almost looked like a Street Fighter character or something. Yeah, uh, this was like I think the third guy that wore an eye patch in AEW. I was thinking about it. We had Moxley wore an eye patch uh, after he was stabbed in the eye. Santana wore an eye after he was stabbed with the. Uh, I think Moxley stabbed Santana in the eye with Jericho's jacket. Point. And he is wearing it. And then Malachi, I mean, he's not wearing an eye patch, but his eye looks like it's blacked out completely. So there's just something with eyes in AEW. Uh, yeah. But that's that's a good point, though. They may, I mean, th looking back all the way to Rick Martel, uh, was it Rick Martel and Jake the Snake with the blindfold match all the way back in the day? Was that Rick Martel? Uh, but, like, would they maybe have, like, uh, Pac wrestle with an eye patch on? You know, uh -huh. like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, you, I didn't even think about, like, the legitimacy of, like, oh, maybe they're actually going to act like he's blind. I, I, I could see them trying some, I mean, if it was WWE, you know, it's a guarantee he was coming back blind. <laughs> oh, 100%, yeah. And with, a, like... with a walking stick, that's his new weapon, but um, I could see them doing it in, a, in an interesting way. I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things, but yeah, it popped into my mind. I'm like, maybe he'll come back and still be blind but i don't know what that would look like no so wrestlemania there. 7 uh it was the blindfold match between rick martell and jake the snake and they had you know both of them wore the hoods because of uh jake's eyesight was damaged because of rick martell spraying and with the arrogance in his eyes so that was what the feud was based off of so oh, okay thank you for looking that up because i was i was not really remembering that and i and i like rick martell and jake the snake quite a bit but i forget that not wrestlemania 7 that's what 92 93 uh so 96 so it's 91 91 okay i was gonna say i'm re-watching a lot of old stuff i'm in like 1989 right now so it's, I'm, I'm not quite there yet to see yeah so that main event of wrestlemania 7 is slaughter versus hogan it's like the american oh, okay. themed, yeah like you know uh what's uh slaughter is the iraqi sympathizer it also is Warriors match, and I mentioned this on the watch along because Nick was asking about Warriors matches. Uh, one of my favorite matches that Warriors ever had was at WrestleMania 7, that retirement match with Macho King. So Macho hit like four elbows or maybe even more and still lost the match. So one of my favorite Macho, uh, Macho matches and also Warrior matches. Warrior doesn't have a lot of good matches per se in the ring, but that was one of them. Um, and for, you know, a little tidbit, they were selling warrior was sell, warriors estate was selling those tights that he wore in that match on eBay. I think it was like $1,500. And if I was a rich man, I would have definitely bought those. Cause that match was like held near and dear to my heart uh, for my child. I remember what, rent, renting that on Coliseum video from Mr. Video in Oakdale, shout out to Oakdale, New York, uh, watching that, like on my sick days, like I'd be home from home sick from school and watching that like that videotape WrestleMania seven. That's awesome. And no, I agree. I think there's basically that match with, uh, with macho and uh, the one with Hogan, which are pretty much the only two warrior matches that get like almost universal praise. Yeah. I mean, you can go back to SummerSlam 90 with his feud with Rick rude that 
I guess technically the match itself was better, but Rick Rude didn't have the same name that Amacho had and like obviously Hogan had. Uh, but those are some of my favorite matches. Warrior, I'm a huge fan. I know people hate on Warrior, uh, but for what he was, like not every wrestler has to be Bret Hart, in my opinion. Not every wrestler has to be Shawn Michaels. Not every wrestler has to go out there and be Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle. There's there's a place in wrestling for the the larger than life character, um, as long as it's booked correctly. And I think Warrior was the right time and place. And um, he lives in my you know my memory. No matter how shitty the person turned out to be, the real person, you know, Jim Helwig, the character Ultimate Warrior is to me timeless. But. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, so we no. we are moving towards AW Rampage uh, this Friday, and the card is already stacked. Like it's pretty cool that we have a full card that we already know. Uh, so we have Adam Cole versus Trent Beretta. as you said. Adam Cole seems like he's buried in competition on Rampage. So another match this week on Rampage. We have the six man tag with Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, and Layla Hirsch versus Dyla Rose, Penelope Ford, and the Bunny. They have a lot to live up to here after the Bunny was last on Rampage on New Year's Eve. Uh, getting her uh, face just bloodied up in that barbed wire match with Ty Conti. And um, I'm not sure how this match I'm curious to read the results following the Dynamite tapings. I'm sure they'll be out following when we're done here. We have Sean Spears versus Andrew Everett. And then we have the World uh, World Tag Team Championship, Jurassic Express versus the Dark Order. Uh, very bottom-heavy main event card. And like you said, if they open with the tag titles, I will be completely tuning out. So it'll be interesting how they book this uh, event because – if, if I get any word that the tag title match happens first, I'm only watching for the first uh, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's, and then- uh, I think that's kind of how they, they design it, though, right? Knowing it's like a Friday night, I feel like they're like, all right, people probably aren't going to make it, so let's do that. The thing that bothers me is when they do it on Dynamite as well. Yeah, it's there's some weeks that they just like, you know, you can tell they're punting a little bit, that they're like, oh, yeah, all right. So we, we gave it away the first match. And then the rest of the card is just sort of throw away things in packages. I felt like this this card, and we'll talk about the end as we do the wrap-up, uh, was a mixed bag. In that regard, it felt a little bit like you're saying, where we had some really good stuff and then, then stuff that felt like unimportant that could have just been done uh, elsewhere, maybe on Rampage or maybe even on YouTube, uh, or not done at all, too. You know. Uh, so for Dynamite on Wednesday, we have the intergender match with Adam Cole and Britt Baker, versus Orange Cassidy and Statlander. This could be a pay-per-view match, in my opinion. Uh, having Cole and Baker in the match together uh, breaks the fourth wall a little bit for me. It's awesome to see them together on TV. Almost surreal, especially where we were at this time last year, where they were just dropping hints on TV like to each other, uh, where Cole was doing, I think Cole did the lockjaw on, on NXT television. And I know that Britt Baker was doing, I think she did the, the boom or whatever he calls it. Or no, she did the Panama Sunrise on AEW, so to look at where we are now that cole eventually was let you know not re-signed by wwe like it's i don't think i ever saw this happening so i'm definitely going to enjoy the moment as it happens we also have punk versus sean spears serena diva sky blue we have cody rhodes returning and then we have sting and darby allen versus the acclaim so a pretty stacked dynamite next week yeah you forgot to mention sky blue was on the show briefly this week oh that is true that she was briefly on the show uh, and they are truly trying to get everybody on the on the on the card, uh, similar to like WrestleMania, where they're just like throwing everyone in the Andre the Giant battle row, be like, "You're on the WrestleMania card, you get your payday." But if, if, they, if they put if they put Sky Blue on Rampage, I'll watch every week. <laughs> are you listening, Tony? This is how you get people to watch Rampage. 
They especially one thing just on a, on a side note, Sky. I'm being funny just because Sky Blue is very attractive in my opinion. Um, I was I was watching NXT the other day. I caught it, and I think I know what their strategy is. And I'm not mad at them because it it would have worked on me when I was younger. And I think the idea is just to have the most attractive people they can find. And just be like, you're a wrestler now. Because I, I don't really keep up with WWE. Don't really keep up with NXT, right? I was going through the roster. And I was like, bro, do they have a bad-looking wrestler on the roster? Even, like, a lot of the male wrestlers, it seems like they go for, like, a certain... They're going yeah. for, like, a certain pretty boy kind of look. Like, is that right. is that a thing? Are they going for just, like, really good-looking people? Because, like, NXT is just, like, a bunch of models, basically. I'm sure it plays a part because of the fact that they're booking towards teaching guys to wrestle like a Braun breaker is like the exception at this point. I mean, he's learning as we go, but he has a lineage of, you know, being a Steiner his whole life, but you know, look at the signing, the recent signings and like the, the performance center is littered with guys that are football players, Olympic athletes. We're going to get Gable Stevenson, like eventually training to wrestle. They don't want these indie wrestlers that have this preconceived notion how to work. They want them to wrestle WWE style. And I think from look to promos to uh in-ring work it all has to sort of mesh because and i honestly i was mad about the nxt change but at this point if you're not going to call up a guy like keith lee and use him as a main eventer what's the point of your developmental system so i want them to develop a i want them to have a developmental system that we can be excited like this guy will main event wrestlemania in three years and i feel that way about braun breaker because he fits this wwe mold and same thing with the women on the roster, too. They want a certain type of wrestler. They don't want the Adam Coles. They don't want the Keith Lees. They don't want the Kyle O'Reilly's or the Champas or the Gargano's anymore. They're moving away from it. As much as that's for me, I have AEW now to lean on. So I want WWE to create new stars. Like, I want, I, I don't care how they do it. And, you know, people like chocolate, people like vanilla. You know, WWE is going to be a, a different flavor for somebody else but I want them to have a stockpile of new talent because at this point there's no one coming. Like we're going to get Brock and Roman like the next three years. And that's because they haven't done a good job of developing their roster. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. You kind of nailed it where I think they're just like that, that indie wrestler. Like, I think that's more of like a, a classic wrestler, you know, look and persona and kind of, and it's almost like, you know, before, if you think 10, 15 years ago, everybody kind of had, long hair and tattoos and whatever whereas now it's almost like everybody looks more like the miz right like it's almost like oh, yeah. they're going more for like that movie star kind of cookie cutter look and everybody is very similar rather than don't get me wrong there's still the odd shotsy black card and you know people like that over there but still they got to water them down and you know give them only one name for whatever reason like everybody's yeah. Madonna, but um but yeah i think you're right it's just they're just trying to do something really different and i think they're envisioning what's going to make them you know different and, and what's going to set them apart moving forward and what's going to be successful for them is to kind of lean more on the personalities almost like reality show stars right like right. they're like oh like we can just have like a hundred of those rather than have some you know grungy weird wrestler like i feel like they're almost giving up on trying to be creative in that space yeah, now that Bruce Pritchard's completely in control, they're no longer separate entities. NXT's no longer being run separate than Raw and SmackDown. I think at this point, 
uh, we can expect that it's going to be a you know filtered system that's going to give you the new stars of the future. And if you're not going to have Keith Lee, like I mentioned before, or Adam Cole, when they're clearly like Gargano, how how long was he ready on that roster to be on the main roster? And you get handmade, like it's hand delivered to you, carrying cross. Like he was WWE ready made. Like he had the entrance, he had Scarlet Scarlet at his side. His in-ring work wasn't indie style. He was working WWE style. And you still messed him up on the way up to the main roster. And and you're wondering why there's no new guy coming up. And, you know, my point is, I think the insecurity of losing to AEW in the Wednesday Night War, because they felt like, oh, you know what? Let's just squash them like a little bug. And they'll never admit this. I think this is truly what they felt. One AEW came on Wednesdays. They're like, all right, let's take our NXT off of WWE Network. Let's put them on USA Network and put them head to head with Dynamite because there's no way anyone can beat us. We're right. going to just destroy them. And yeah. the insecurity of Vince where he was never going to win against AEW unless he put you know, SmackDown or Raw on Wednesday, which he wasn't doing because he didn't want to admit they were a competitor, but also didn't want to lose to them at the same time. But little did he know NXT became the precursor and like the appetizer for AEW because people got all those types of matches on TakeOver. Um, and it was my alternative for the for the longest time because there was no alternative uh, because WWE was the only option. They were a monopoly and NXT was like a breath of fresh air. I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to get good matches and uh, different types of um, character. It was just like, oh my God. And then it blew my mind, right? So at this point, AEW took that that market and there's no real point for having a, a the black and gold brand anymore because AEW exists. Now, WWE just wants a functional developmental system that's going to create their version of what a star looks like. Whether you like it or not, I certainly don't, but that's what they want. And I, I guess I, you know, that's what they should be doing. Yeah, it's just it's just two different uh, two different mindsets, and it's, it's I said it the other day where it's like a, AEW is trying to get people like you or myself that eighteen to forty or whatever you know however far you want to stretch that demographic, whereas WWE simply aren't. They're they're trying to appeal to to a different either kids or or women, and when I say women, I simply mean with all their diva shows and the reality mm -hmm. stuff like. That's not for me, you know, <laughs> like that's right, you know, and, and AEW, yes, they have Cody has his thing and look at how he gets treated by the fans in AEW. Right. Like, I feel like a lot of that backlash started with the reality show stuff. Absolutely. I could, I mean, you and I are on the same page here and I'm sure we could do a whole separate show about, you know, the emergence of this rainbow version of NXT. I think our background of the show sort of looks like the new NXT logo. Thank you for finally bringing it up. I was <laughs> going to say it. Like, I feel like I'm in NXT 2.0 right now. You're in the NXT zone. How do you feel? Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to Andrade and Matt Hardy in the back. And it was cool to see Andrade uh, just on TV. Uh, it seems like he's one of those other guys that's been lost in the shuffle. And it was nice to have him at least there. Uh, not much there except for, you know, Andrade just, I guess, letting, letting Matt Hardy know that um, he can work out a deal with them. So the HFO stuff is still sort of in existence. Again, as long as Andrade's on my TV, I'm okay. I want him in the ring, though. Yeah, you're, I, I agree. And I could see where you thought maybe the Jeff Hardy thing, because Matt starts off going, oh, I, I don't know. I'm losing. Something needs to change. Like, something needs to change. And then uh, Andrade comes in and he's like, oh. 
a proposition. I love how he <laughs> talks. I love that they forced him to talk. Like, because I don't know. I love, I just love everything he says with so much emphasis. It just, it's that much better. I really, I love the the Andrade El Idolo character. And and tell me, especially because we were just kind of talking about that era a little bit. I, I don't know why it just dawned on me finally this week. He's the million dollar man. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Right? Like he's yeah. doing like a very kind of Ted DiBiase thing. And I and I, it's been subtle enough that it's not a, like a just a, a clear rip off of it. But he's doing very, very like kind of similar, similar dastardly things. Uh, you know, everybody has a price, right? It, it's yeah, it's kind of got that same kind of thing going on, right? I think so too. And I, you know, Andrade at this point, I think he's a mix between flair and like a DiBiase, especially since he's engaged. Is he still engaged to Charlotte? I mean, that that's still on the rocks now. Yeah. Okay. So there is sort of that flair connection to him. And to me, look at WWE, they're desperate for a star that is Mexican um, that could tap into that market. Cause there's a huge market for WWE that they don't have a star. I mean, look how desperate they were that they pushed Alberto Del Rio to the moon and he was green as ever. They didn't have the ability, and he wound up being like the shittiest person ever. But he won Rumble like his rookie year, and like I remember watching that Rumble and be like, "Why are they doing this?" But it makes sense because that market is desperate for a face to like to root for. And Andrade was that guy, but they wouldn't, they didn't want him to be that guy because he can't speak in their mind fluent English, which is ridiculous. Like he doesn't have to speak. Give him, give him a Paul Heyman. Give him somebody to speak for him. And his, let his work in the ring speak for itself. The guy has it all. He's like, again, we talk about all these misses that WWE had, but Andrade is a shocking one because he was, I mean, again, tailor-made to be a main event star on the main roster. Yeah, out, out of all of them, that like where you see the contrast from WWE to AEW, him and Malachi really, really, really stick out. Yeah, because I think they felt in their mind that they had Angel Garza and they also had Umberto Carrillo that they didn't need Andrade. And like that's so you know disrespectful to what Andrade has done to this business and what he's done elsewhere. I think they don't, WWE doesn't care. I mean, I should stop myself there. They don't care what he's done elsewhere. Um, you know, Triple what? Yeah, exactly. He reminds me of, of Triple uh, H. Eddie. Triple H. <laughs> he reminds me of Eddie Guerrero, man. Like that's that's the vibe I got from him. Uh, works a different style than Eddie, but just also has like the charisma of Eddie. So much, so and that's the main event presence. You can't you can't teach that a guy who comes into the arena and feels like he's a big deal. I mean, he has the mask on, his music hits. He feels like he's a main eventer, and it's a matter of time. We keep talking about the top heavy roster of AEW. It's a matter of time before he gets his shot, and he's gonna be tagged in eventually, and uh, that's gonna be cool to see. So right now he's toiling around with, like you said, with Matt Hardy, and maybe they'll find something else for him to do, but I just want him on TV because it's been a while since we've seen him on, uh, on dynamite. Yeah. And I think eventually you'll see him in the world title picture, but he's a guy that I think is a prime candidate to put that TNT belt on. Uh, he's got the perfect kind of character and, uh, and, and yeah, I feel like he's a guy who could kind of help elevate that title and whoever would eventually take it off of him, especially with all his tactics and, you know, paying off people to, to yeah. help them win and stuff. I feel like that could that could really uh, that could really be something. Yeah, and his relationship yeah. with the Lucha Brothers too was was there um, for a bit. Like they were teasing that as well. Like I'm not sure where they where he stands with Penta anymore. Like I think they were still feuding, but um, 
you know, there's a lot of stories to be told with Andrade, and I'm definitely looking forward to them putting him like in the main event picture because I keep repeating myself, but I think he's a guy who could really benefit from being in the spotlight because he's a really, really talented guy. Yeah. All right. So we have the interim TNT championship, which saw Sammy Guevara with Chris Jericho defeating Daniel Garcia, who came to the ring with Eddie Kingston. Uh, this was a good match and I'm very, very high on Daniel Garcia. Um, I've been saying to anyone that will listen that I believe Daniel Garcia will be a huge star. Uh, in the future. I mean, he has a lot to learn still as far as character development and um, just different things like promo work. But in the ring, I think he's one of the top performers in AW. And that's really saying a lot because of the fact of how loaded they are in the ring. He reminds me of a of Daniel Bryan in Ring of Honor. I just, when I watch him, I believe his offense is believable. Uh, he looks like he's actually crazy. Like he, I believe what he's doing in the ring. And I like this edge he has with um, Eddie Kingston a little bit. I think it brings out a really good side of him. Um, I really like this match here. I'm unsure what they're doing with the interim championship. I'm not sure exactly what that means. What does it mean when Cody comes back at this point? Like he's going to just, he gets the first shot at Sammy or is it that he immediately gets the title back? Are they going to have like a Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon moment where they're going to have two titles and one's going to be, they're going to be hanging out a ladder match. Not sure where they're going, but for now, I'm enjoying it being defended on TV. I think it should be defended almost weekly at this point. Like Treat it like a TV title. Yeah, I, f I feel like it was not planned for Cody to miss uh, the taping. So then they're like, well, let's give Sammy an interim title. That way we give him an excuse to have great matches every week again, because that was kind of what he was becoming known for. Um, I do think when Cody comes back, they'll just – merge those together because it wasn't planned but i think they figured hey while we're giving this crap they're they're what, what do they say they're making lemonade out of, out of the lemons right so they're like hey we got this situation here we weren't hoping for it we were hoping to advance the cody sammy uh storyline wherever they were going with that but in the meantime let's just put sammy in some great matches and uh and and in this case they used it to elevate the uh or to, to further along i should say the uh the Daniel Garcia, Eddie Kingston, Jericho, more specifically Kingston and Jericho. But, um, you know, well, everybody's still mad at each other, basically. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. So there was a near spot in this match, and I didn't think Daniel Garcia was going to win at all. So let me just preface no. with that. But he hit he hit the pile driver for a near fall. And a lot of the guys, when they're down for a near fall, I'm not, not sure if you notice this, but I almost don't even want to tell you because once you notice it, they look <laughs> up behind them. So they. <laughs> So yeah. you can tell they're going to kick out. So like they're looking to to make the and that's a WWE thing. I think a lot of guys have picked that up from being on the WWE roster where they're trying. And John Cena was like the king of doing that, where you would see him look up and then he would kick out at the last second. For me, it takes me out of the match because I'm like, I knew he was kicking out. So, but this that didn't happen here. Sammy didn't look up. He just was completely out. I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna put the title on on Garcia. But yeah, it didn't happen. 2.0 arrived again. Don't care about these guys, but. They're building towards something with Jericho and Kingston. We talked about this. I guess, the you know, you want to talk about silver lining of this. Kingston is on TV. He's going to have time on the microphone. I think he's going to get a uh, a monumental win against Jericho if they're doing the right thing. And you can, I guess, take that for what it is. I mean, if they don't do that, uh, I mean, that is some – that would be some bogus booking because, I, you know, Kingston, he was on the verge of superstardom in the summer. And 
he got halted for whatever reason. Like, obviously, they don't want to put the title on him, but he felt when him and Moxley came out as that tag team, I, I think it was double or nothing when they came out to Wild Thing and they both came out together. It felt like, oh my, the Kingston's on the precipice. I felt like he was the guy um, when they first got an audience back. Like, people didn't, I don't think he realized how much he was loved by the fans. And yeah. he was one of those guys that, like, got all the love he deserved. And, and rightfully so. He is a very talented guy and he's paid his dues. And he's so, like, again, I talk about believable characters. He's a guy who's so believable. I believe everything he says and does in the ring. I'm living and dying with his promos sometimes. Um, but it seems like he's lost steam. And I'm not sure if that's because there's only three hours of television on a weekly basis or they're just not booking him correctly. I'm not sure. I mean, this few certainly has taken me um, a little bit to getting used to. And it's he's taken a step back for me. No, I think you said it. it's just that they haven't booked him correctly. They did a really great job at first. And also a lot of it's just him shining through his personality. And from the moment when he cut that big promo after AEW, which was so perfect. And I and I don't think it was really written where he just talks about things on that program. Da, 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 over on that program. He's, and he talks about how, like, we want to hear you and da, 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 all that stuff. And that was a great that, – that was such a big moment. And then, yeah, it's like from there he's just kind of slowly gone down. And that's been based on – he hasn't won in like months, seemingly. I mean, elevation and dark only count so much to me, right? Right. Like, most people aren't watching those, so it's like in the main feuds, like he lost to Miro, which was fine, but then he lost to Punk, and then now he's lost to Garcia twice. It's like the guy's a loser, you know what I mean? Like, so it's it's tough to then, and if if he loses to Jericho, like at that point, it's like what's going on? Like, there's a universe where he can lose to Jericho, but it's not after he's lost every other major feud since that moment the only match he's won was the uh the tag match that you were at live but yeah other than the street that, fight yeah I, he hasn't won a major match since then and that was a tag match he lost to brian danielson in the eliminator tournament too on full gear so yeah, right. no it wasn't full gear it was before that but he lost yeah. the, he lost to danielson as well and again yeah. great booking decision but one of those guys that's sort of i guess his situations like the the negativity is the byproduct of making the right decision in other ways, but you're not putting him in a situation to succeed. And you had this white hot character and I'm not sure what you could have done with him, but I know what you're doing now is not what I would do. And I guess, you know, hindsight is, you know, very clear when I'm not, I'm able to see the picture after it's already sort of unfolded. Uh, but this definitely is not the right decision, especially the 2.0 stuff. I can't say it enough. It's just between them and the Dan Lambert shit on the show. It's like, I don't need them on my show. Garcia can stay hundred percent. But 2.0, like, see you later. Like, the roster's so stacked. Why are these guys getting TV time? It's very it, – it's odd. Like, there's – to me, it's, like, such an obvious just, like, cut that – I don't mean cut like, – sorry, I don't mean, like, lose their job. But, like, as far as, like, being on Dynamite every week, to me, it's, like, you just cut that out and pay – like, even um, Private Party. That could easily be Private Party, and I think it should be a team like Private Party rather than 2.0, like, I don't get it for, it's not for me. It, it might, maybe it's for somebody. I don't know. Like maybe if you look at the quarter hours, maybe when 2.0 is out there, they're fucking yes. killing the quarter hours, right? Like me, we might be the odd ones out on that, but yeah, to me, there's like a clear drop off in quality. I shouldn't say quality. Cause a lot of it's the Jericho 
tie-in, right? A lot of stuff that he's doing. So it might not even be 2.0, but it, it, it feels like, oh, now we're in the other part of the show. Like there's the CM Punk, MJF, Malachi, Paige, Danielson stuff. And then there's that stuff. You know, it, it just seems like it's like, oh, we're, we're watching the, the other part of the show now. Yeah, agreed. That's a really good way to put it. You said before when I was texting you prior, see if you want to come on here and chat. You were like, yeah, the first half of the show was really good. I was invested. Second half, not so much. And like you said, it felt like you cut it in half. And if you just take that first hour and like that was an excellent dynamite and it sort of it fell off. I mean, aside from the main event being a good match, the other mm-hmm. stuff, I mean, take it or leave it. Like, I mean, there's some stuff on the show, like you said, you can cut out that it wasn't completely necessary. And it's not a bad show. And I know a lot of it is we're kvetching because like our expectations are so goddamn high because of how good yeah. they've been week to week. You know, yep. take this, this would be the best raw in five years. If you know, what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're, nit, we're nitpicking here, but um, you know, I want to be honest with everybody about how I feel about the show and yeah, it wasn't their best effort. Uh, but it also wasn't their worst. I mean, I've seen I've seen worse efforts. You said, you know, we've talked about the 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 shows that felt like they punted after a strong main event or an opening. Uh, but this certainly felt like it was sort of there. There were some spots, like you know, confusing spots. But I guess let's start with high point of the night. What was your high point of the night as far as this show? Like, pick one thing out of all of this, and I guess you know, tell me where you landed on. My high point would have been. It's got to be the punk MJF stuff, man. Everything that they do has been great. Uh, probably when MJF was actually putting his finger into Wardlow's chest and he grabbed his hand and I, for half a second, I'm like, oh, maybe we get it now. And then Sean Spears came out. Uh, that and then MJF being so worked up. Almost, almost, I think he was more worked up this week than he was last week. When, and I loved it last week. And he's like, you want to see the match? You guys want to see the goddamn match. And he did the same thing this week. But this week he swerved me. I thought I was getting This week he swerved me because last week I saw it a mile away. This week I didn't see it coming when he said Sean Spears. So that that's probably my uh, my favorite moment. I would agree with you. My high point for sure was the Wardlow stuff. I thought they did it perfectly. And they made Wardlow look like a million bucks. And I thought he transcended mid-carter to main eventer tonight. It was the look, uh, the new tights. He felt special tonight, and I think Punk did a really good job of making him look like a legitimate badass and taking him to the next level by selling. Punk doesn't have to do that stuff. I mean, I'm sure Punk has a lot of say in the you know in the writing room and talking about what happens. He certainly doesn't have to do what he did tonight for Wardlow, and I'm sure it means a lot to Tony and developing the character Wardlow and Wardlow himself. Like, I mean, think about what Punk has accomplished and the fact that. Wardlow was taking it to him to a point where he could have pinned him with one foot. How many people can say they could have done that to Punk ever? So it was a huge, yeah. huge rub for Wardlow. Absolutely. No, he, he just, without winning, but he destroyed him. Like he, he truly did. And it's, it's a, you don't, like you said, the only other guys that even do that to him is what, maybe like Brock or, you know, yeah. I mean? like you didn't you don't really see that happen to, to guys like CM Punk very often. So that was, that was a big that was big. That was probably bigger than we're even realizing. But yeah, that doesn't really happen very often like that. Yeah, I think as we move on and like, you know, months and months past, this will be one of those things we look at like, wow, that was a turning point for not only Wardlow, but AW. I feel like, you know, it took the you took a guy who was 
on the precipice of being one of those uh, a main guy and you put him in the next level without damaging punk like he he's still in a good spot where you know if punk ever wants to be in the main event future you need someone to challenge for the world title it's not like he's damaged completely you just have another badass on your hands exactly and that's and that's again like very similar to to page and danielson i feel like they got the exact perfect outcome that they wanted and it's just it's honestly insane and it's not uh it's not just the contrast between them and wwe with how often they hit and how often wwe misses like take away wwe out of the equation in anything in any avenue especially entertainment based it's rare to to hit this often and just to to get the outcome you're looking for from a live crowd and from and from us uh you know like you said re wrestling fans are you know hate wrestling right and and here we are week in and week out being like wow they are they didn't fuck this up like this is yeah. good you know it's it's they just they hit home runs all the time and the type of wrestling fans that AEW tracks, they usually wouldn't be pulling for someone and like allowing someone like Wardlow to organically get over because that type of guy is not who they want to see win. But I right. think a credit to AEW is that they so often give the fans what they want. They're okay with a young, a young guy like Wardlow cutting his teeth and developing himself to the point where like, yeah, he didn't, he wasn't on the Indies. He wasn't in PWG. He wasn't in ring of honor. He's a homegrown guy for uh, AEW. And maybe doesn't have the most experience, but he has a spot on the card that fills a niche that is not being touched on with any other character in AEW. They need that guy. He's that monster who's filling a void that it's not quite Lesnar, but I think it's Batista. And I think it's like they're hitting it right on the mark without completely ripping off the, the Batista character. Yeah, because he he stood out like a, like a sore thumb almost that when he first debuted because they... <sighs> They had a much smaller. They still have a smaller roster, but they had a much smaller. What I mean in stature of the guys, they he he was like one of the giants right away, and it was almost to the point where they're like, "Oh, let's bring in a big giant guy because you got to have one of those." But right, as, as you said, he's really proven himself to be so much more than that, and now he's uh, one of the best parts of the show. Yeah, but why you know why even have you know WWE has almost on their roster, and he's the seven foot whatever i think he's seven foot two legitimate giant can't even move in the ring the guy is green as you know goose shit awful in the ring absolutely terrible getting wins over aj styles not justified but if you surround guys so like a guy like um a guy like wardlow looks enormous because you're surrounding him with guys that are you know typical size 511 six six foot so a guy six five six six looks like he's a seven footer and you're not exposing him so like i mean when you have a guy like like Braun Strowman, if like when he showed up in Ring of Honor, the guy looks like an absolute monster. And I like Braun Strowman had lost his place on on the WWE roster because of the fact they brought in a guy like almost. It's like Braun Strowman was that guy almost is like two heads taller than him. It's like you lost your role. So Wardlow in WWE probably would be not the biggest guy. I don't even know if I honestly would have to look at their heights compared with Brock and stuff. But in my mind. He is Brock Lesnar because of the way he's surrounded by this smaller roster. And sometimes that works. And it is right now. Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. And it's, uh, yeah, he, he is kind of filling that role. And I think, no, I think you're, yeah, in WWE, I think he'd be, you're right. Like he'd be big, but he wouldn't, it wouldn't be nearly to the same effect that, as it is in AEW where it's, uh, compared to the average guy he's that much big because even him versus like a, a guy like Dolph 
he he wouldn't look that much bigger than than Dolph, but you compare it to a lot of the guys that he goes against in in AEW, and it's yeah, it's just a uh, yeah, it's it, it's a little bit different, and and in this case, it works in his favor. Yeah, Wardlow's six two. That's what his Wikipedia says. Not sure if that's his shoot size or if it's actually one of the, like maybe they're exaggerating, but six two is what it says on Wikipedia. Dolph Ziggler's six foot. So you're right. I mean, Dolph Ziggler book like a scrawny nerd is only two inches shorter than him. So like that says a lot about how presentation works and surrounding the right guy. Um, so I guess having one big guy in there, I mean, Archer is, is the other guy, but there's not that many big guys on the roster and it's filling a much needed void because wrestling shows need different characters and different body types to, um, I guess, keep the, keep the characters interesting. Cause you can't have all these guys that look like Adam Cole running around. Well, Luchasaurus, I think oh, he's, he's only, a big boy too. Yeah, he, I think he's only about six. I only right, but I think he's only six four. But like in the WWE, he they wouldn't be portraying him as a as a big giant character. He wouldn't be the the guy that tags in and just does shoulder blocks. They'd be making him do moon salts and stuff, right? Like right. They they wouldn't even let him portray a big guy because he wouldn't be big enough to their standards. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, WWE's obsessed with having these monster guys, but you kind of book yourself in a corner because at this point you need to find these big guys and you wind up with almost who can't even, he can't even do anything in the ring. So like you have all these monsters and you need a guy who's bigger than the rest of the monsters. And that guy can't move because he's so goddamn big. Like great Kali was the same way. He's yeah. a big guy. He's impressive, but you're sacrificing match quality and fans see right through it. Yeah. Put the title on that works in 1993. It doesn't work today. No, I was, I was going to say, when it comes to big guys, you want to go more Andre, Bam Bam, Vader, and less Great Kali, Giant Gonzalez, and, yeah. and almost, almost or almost or the, the guy, the gentleman you're referencing. Yeah. He, to me, at this point, is much more in line with the Great Kali's and the... And I think when you're that big, to be fair, I think the human body can only do so much. And when of you're... Course. Are literally that big and heavy i just don't think you're ever gonna move like i think like seven feet 450 is like the human limit for like being even a little bit agile and anything beyond that i think it just gets awkward and you're just never gonna be that crazy of an athlete in my not no, agree <laughs> Just I from think a the visual standpoint, you know, like yeah, I think the big show is that the only guy that could ever move around as a big guy. I mean, he was doing drop kicks and stuff and like his prime. Uh, but even he is one a once in a lifetime athlete that we really didn't appreciate while we had him because of the fact WWF WWE was littered with huge guys. So you really couldn't even appreciate Big Show because he almost felt like just another guy. I mean, he was he was pushed like a monster every once in a while, but looking at him in the ring, like you had Taker, you had Kane. I mean, even like even Stone Cold himself was 6'4". You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, at this point, you know, Big Show on – you look at Big Show in the ring. I mean, we've seen him in the ring in AEW, and obviously he's well past his prime, but he's he's he towers over everybody. Actually, that's that's funny just mentioning Austin. Because, yeah, if you think Austin, The Rock, Triple H, even further to your point, those guys would be in AEW today. They would be the – that's like Brian Cage, right? They'd be like the biggest guys there. Even Billy Gunn, dude. Billy Gunn is is shockingly yes. huge. Yeah, yes. thank you. Because you know, we never thought of Billy Gunn as like, oh, he's huge, and like he was just one of the guys on that roster, which shows you just how fucking insanely juiced that whole fucking locker room was. Right. That Billy Gunn 
while I think he's a little more enhanced now than he was then, even still, he's only a little bit bigger than he was then. And he was, like I said, just one of the guys. And that's fucking insane. Yeah. So moving towards a low point of the night, I guess I'll start with it here. Uh, I'm going to go. I've, I have a tie here. I would say it has a lot to do with uh, the Dan Lambert segment. Uh, that certainly, you know, seeing him on TV, like I do under, like I like that Hangman's going to get an opponent that he's going to be able to feast on and get a win, a big win. Yeah. Uh, but having Lambert in the beginning on TV, that was a low point. I don't like seeing him on TV. It's go away heat for me. Um, and then the stuff with uh, 2.0 for sure. So that's my low point. Um, there was some really good stuff here, but there was some stuff that again could have just did what you did, just snip it out and move on and give more time to something different. Yeah, uh, I I agree, and I think for me, probably wasn't very long, but like the Jericho thing just like drove me nuts. Where um, I don't know, did you get the vibe that Kingston was a little bit uh, too egregious with his cutting off there and like? I don't I don't know if Jericho is getting annoyed, but like even as the viewer, I'm like, bro, you're not letting him get his shit. <laughs> like, right. No, yeah. I mean, it was, again, it was same fun. thing with Kingston. Kingston feels like he's unpredictable. Like he's a dude that legitimately is smoking Newports outside of a New York bodega. Like that's that guy. Yeah, like, what do you what is he gonna say? You have a live microphone. What are you gonna say, Eddie? Yeah, it was weird. It was and even when like like Jericho, he says like GF. Why? Which I guess is go fuck yourself. I guess right. and he goes GFY. Like, look, <laughs> right? <laughs> Every little thing. But when he he said he I don't, he brought up the square head thing again, and just I don't know the stuff we've already kind of beat beat up on. But yeah, just like the Jericho corniness. It's just like fuck. Like, and and I think it's it's twofold because it's not like you're just like oh here's Jericho and I don't necessarily love this part of the show. It's like. Oh, here's Jericho. Because you initially you're like, oh, it's Jericho, and then you're like, oh wait, it's it's this new Jericho we've got right. over the last couple months, and it's like, oh, just oh, it's hard to watch. It's it's, it's just very, happened overnight. It just feel it, like it happened overnight. He was, yeah. I mean, he's months removed from being very entertaining on TV, and I, I don't know, it just happened overnight. And at this point, I just like he's like Poochie the dog from The Simpsons. Like, see you later. Like, I don't yeah. I don't need you on TV anymore. It's almost like he should have lost that match against MJF. Yeah, I would say so. And like retire, like stay on the show, stay as a manager, stay as a whatever. Like, but I mean, I shouldn't say that because like I, I don't, I wouldn't love him as a manager right now, and I, I hate his commentary, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But yeah, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, he's one of those guys that you think about the start of AEW, they would not be where they are without the guy. He was like, a mate. Le Champion was arguably his best run. Like, I honestly feel like you can put that persona and like those promos and the week to week the anticipation the stuff with Co like you wanted to see cody kick his ass like i thought they did such a great job like the the inner circle everything with the with that they were doing like it was all great and that's why it's so weird for just to like it's almost like one day he's just like hey i'm gonna try to be the rock even though i don't have the same crowd control and i'm just gonna try to get everything over and it's like it's no just yeah Working. Do you do you see it as more of a credit to the AEW roster being more well-rounded, or do you just think because maybe comparing Jericho, maybe Jericho all along has been sort of teetering on this whole? No, thing. I won't. I can't go for that. No, because right. it, it was so great when it started. Everything with the shot. No, like, I agree. I loved it. 
right? His the his entrance long before people were singing to it, just his presence when he came out at like it was like this is a big, big deal. And he was one of the few reasons to tune in if you were casual like me at, at the time, as far as like I wasn't like, oh dude, Kenny Omega's gonna re revolutionize. I wasn't one of those people. I right. I liked his work, but I was still very skeptical. And Jericho was one of the guys that really legitimized it for me. But no, I feel like it's a combination of yes obviously the rest of the card has improved so much more and there's a ton more talent than there was at the beginning but it's it's both it's you can if we go through we could probably almost pinpoint like maybe the, the orange cassidy stuff he definitely started losing yeah. some momentum but uh but yeah it's kind of been in, in, in phases but i mean the being face you can only do so much as, as a baby face right so i mean his best run was as a heel, as Le Champion. I think we might be gearing towards a heel turn again. I mean, I don't know if they're going to try to... I don't think that they'd be dumb enough to try and do Eddie and Santana or, and Ortiz as, as heels. Because if they split off, people are going to cheer for them. So right. um, if we get Chris as, as a heel moving forward, maybe that changes everything again. And may, maybe that's part of the issue. But uh, no, I, I don't think that it was kind of just like a you know at the time he was that much better than than what what else was there i feel like it's a combination of yes the rest of the cards gotten better but he's certainly dropped off as well yeah he almost overstayed his welcome at this point because he's feeling like you know he's trying to be and like i don't know if you listen to his podcast ever but he's trying to to get himself and keep himself relevant to his credit that's what he's always done yeah and sometimes it works really well and that right now it feels like he's trying a little bit too hard to stay relevant and, you know, the theme song maybe was the start of it, like with the, the Fozzie stuff when everyone's singing it, because it was cool at first. It was like an organic moment. And that felt very WWE where they were like, let's do it every week and let them play the three minute song. It was cool when it happened in the moment, uh, not so much forced. And I don't know, it just happened quickly. I mean, I remember being at Arthur Ashe and his music hit for that match. And I think he wrestled uh, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page and, I that was, was the street, that was the street fight, right? And I remember being like, "Don't care. I'm gonna go get merchandise and a beer." Like, I like, and I was like, "That's crazy to me." Like, I'm seeing yeah. Jericho possibly for the the first the last time ever live, and I'm like, "Don't really care." Again, it had a lot to do with who he was wrestling, mm -hmm. but I was like, "Damn!" Like, I, you know, how the mighty have fallen because he was the reason. You know, I was watching it. I want I wanted to watch AEW from the beginning because I I knew the characters, but Jericho legitimized it to to the point where it's like wow, this is a real alternative. And he took a risk coming coming to yeah. AEW and it felt important. And I'm forever grateful to him for what he did. So I don't want, you know, it doesn't discredit what he's done no. at all. But at some point, it's just like, dude, you have to look out for the future of wrestling and like your your time slot that you're taking up on the, on the TV could better be suited for someone else. It's, you know? it's, it's kind of like Cody, not, right? Where it's just, it seems like one day it just went... Like they just switched direction. They're like, "Hey, that we were going there, and then now we're the." And it's just like, I was yeah. so into everything. Like, like Cody to me was the people's champ, and Jericho was the perfect kind of like heel against them. And I guess basically everything that's happened since, which I know you're like, "Well, fuck, you're going back to like the first three months of the company." <laughs> but honestly, it's like since then it's been a slow decline for both of them. I feel. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. Like you could not have foreseen this happening. And I guess no. it's a credit to the company to 
the fact that they're withstanding this. Can you imagine they were relying on Jericho to be a mainstay as a main eventer and the main the main draw, and he was throwing this performance out there? Be like AEW is unwatchable, but luckily he's buried in the mid card. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that like had you have said even after like let's say that first pay per view match between uh, you know when MJF kind of threw the towel and let's say at that point you were like two you know a year and a half from now cody and jericho are going to be to you the least important parts of the show and like when they're not on you're gonna watch it and love it just as much as when they are if not more i would be like that doesn't even make fucking sense like and right it, it's it's like why is stone cold coming back <laughs> like that, that yeah that would have blown my mind but here that's where we're at that's where we are today and that is where we are so that was dynamite in a nutshell so before we let you go guys um, I'm going to ask you live on the air here, Jimmy. I know you and I have discussed potentially doing uh, maybe some side shows where we would talk about rebooking any sort of errors of wrestling. And I'm into it. I wanted to put it out there to put the feelers out to the people that are listening to our, you know, us right now, how they would feel about it. Uh, but essentially the idea would be to look at it, you know, a, a year of wrestling and possibly rebook it and change what have happened. Like what if Bret Hart didn't leave WWF? Am I correct in that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something along the lines, of, especially something that most people feel wasn't done particularly well. So, you know, rebooking the invasion or, uh, you know, like one that we mentioned was uh, Sting's time in, in WWE. So, you know, something like that, um, that, that maybe hasn't been done you know a ton of times before but uh but yeah just just something kind of different something fun and uh you know a way for us to get creative especially and it gives people an opportunity in, in fairness to criticize us because we sit here and we go oh fuck and i would do this i would do that. oh this is dog shit oh he's washed up oh he it gives you an opportunity to say well you guys aren't that much better so i you know i i like that that there's a little bit of uh, accountability there where it's like hey like maybe my ideas suck too so it's like you know let let me let me try putting on the booker hat for a little bit and uh try it out yeah absolutely and like uh, you know just off the top of my brain thinking about how bret hart was booked in wcw a perfect opportunity would be like what happens if he was booked like brian danielson and how would that look like uh, what would that look like as far as what Bret and what would that have changed if bret hart was booked so strong going into wcw rather than being the special guest referee for um what was it Eric Bischoff and someone else wrestling. So, you know, that kind of conversation is intriguing to me and uh, people in my life don't want to hear me do that. So I would love to do it on here with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's, it's awesome. And it's, it's the same kind of thing that happens with, you know, with other franchises, like, like, you know, with star Wars or with Marvel, with, uh, you know, anything like that. It just, when you watch something, you're like, Oh, it'd be cool. If they did this. It'd be cool. if They did that. Or, um, you know, people always come up with their own theories and, uh, and with wrestling, it's kind of become its own genre in itself of the, uh, the fantasy booking. And I don't know, I want to, want to throw my hat in there and get, give it a shot. Listen, man, I'm totally into it. And I want to thank you for hopping on me. I know this was like last second and we were just chatting and I appreciate you popping on here. It's been a lot of fun. And I know this is, you know, my most popular show I've done was the one I did with you year end. So I fully expect this one to be just as popular. And we went, Two hours and 10 minutes, it felt like 20 minutes, dude. 
Yeah, no, I always appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on here, man. And it's uh, no, it's super casual and and it's easy to come on. Like I said, we can we can riff for hours. So uh, so no, it's not like it feels like a chore by any means. <laughs> so it's easy to come on and uh, and have fun and, and chat wrestling, man. Absolutely, and guys, just to remind you, make sure you guys check out the page, the giveaway page for the Keith Lee uh, giveaway. Enter it. It's oh, easy. So Keith, Keith Lee. Yep. So Jimmy the Prince, you're you're more than welcome to enter it, my man. Uh, so all I got to do is just uh, make sure that you guys follow all three steps in the uh, the post. Make sure you guys do that. And the figure can be yours for free, free shipping, everything. It will be just coming to your doorstep. So um, I've been Ace Field Retro. That's Jimmy the Prince from the Wrestling Couch. Make sure you guys follow him. Let me put his tag back up here. The Wrestling Couch in, on Instagram. Um, so make sure you follow him. He has great content. He's putting out shows. I'm not sure how interested you are talking dynamite tomorrow after you just like went through with me, but I will be listening for sure. And you guys do the same. Make sure you check him out on Spotify, wherever you guys get podcasts, Apple podcast, um, anywhere else. Am I missing? No, but I, I also want to say real quick, cause you mentioned, I'm so glad you did. I feel like a lot of wrestling fans need to know about cagematch.net that you were talking about as far as like a database for all things wrestling. The thing that I use it for the most, if you're going to watch an old event and you look it up on like Google or Wikipedia or whatever, it's going to show you the results of all the matches and it kind of ruins it. If you truly either don't remember, or you've never seen that event before. If you go to cagematch.net, put in any event, click on card. If you go to card, it just presents the card in its original form. Uh, and you'll have no idea what the results are, the, the length, who wins anything like that. So cagematch.net, it's such an amazing, uh, place to go it's it's like if you're a sportsman if you know like basketball reference or uh and you know it's like that for wrestling basically so i just wanted to hype that up more but i appreciate you trying to get my plug in for the wrestling coach yeah check it out if you want but also check out <laughs> because that shit it's it's so important and it's uh yeah it's like a such a big database for wrestling stuff yeah for someone who you know lives and dies by like history of wrestling like i do sometimes I forget things that happen. And like, you know, we were, I was talking about the rock and Austin with you in the, the end of the year show and going back and looking at so quickly, like right there, rock and Austin wrestled this amount of times. Obviously there were ones sprinkled in tag matches, but you can pinpoint all the, all the endings and where they wrestled. Sometimes even I think the attendance of the arena is there. So it's a lot of information, which is really good. I love having a lot of information to, to dive through because that's my favorite, man. Yeah, just just wanted to say that because I think it's such an important resource, and it's probably like they probably just run it for free. It's probably just like two dudes, like me and you, right? Just being like, dude, we should put together a wrestling database that would be like really helpful for other people like us. And like, I just think that's good to uh, to to point people there. Hundred percent, man. But I appreciate you joining. Thank you guys for listening and hanging in there with us. If you're listening on uh, Monday or Thursday morning, um, just let us know what you think. Leave some comments on YouTube. Send some messages on Instagram and um, let us know what you guys think. So we've been, I've been Ace for Retro. That's Jimmy the Prince, and I'm out.